get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center where it is content day, baby! Oh, so much content! For the St. Louis Blues, they begin their training camp tomorrow. We will be broadcasting live here the rest of the week, bringing you all of the latest updates from Blues training camp. And Alex, my latest update is this. Guys, the vibes are good. The vibes are very good. We did this exact same thing last year. And to bring people inside, uh, bring you behind the curtain on exactly what content day means. Uh, Basically, they do all of the stuff that you guys see on the air throughout the season. So uh, the liners that you hear, this is Pavel Buchnevich, and you're listening to Blues Hockey on 101 ESPN. He records that today, and then we play it throughout the season. All the stuff that you see on Bally Sports Midwest or at the – games where you just see a guy screaming into a camera that stuff's all recorded today dude this is like secret stuff you shouldn't be telling people this the reason why i bring that up is because it is a long and monotonous and boring day if you're a hockey player (laughs) and nobody really wants to do it and so last year i'll be totally honest candid with you guys the vibes weren't particularly great around blues hockey when we came out here for content day last year alex I feel completely different about the team this year. And I will be totally honest with you. It's not making me pick them for the Stanley Cup or anything like that. But it does make me feel a little better about what the trajectory is for the Blues going into this upcoming season. That guys came in and generally seem to be in better moods around the rink this time of the year. You guys guys hear that? Just listen for a minute. I'm picking up good vibrations. Oh, it's back, baby. The Beach Boys, the Blues are back. The vibes, look, we might be buying too much into that because, frankly, everybody's just on the optimistic train. Frankly, it's well-deserved after this past Cardinal season. But I am 100% with you. After every guy walked through today, and, I mean, we had about 15 different Blues players that came in to do uh, what we needed to for the season, every one of those individuals just seemed to be happy that they were back. And look, some of that could be because it was an extra like month and a half than these guys are typically used to. And, you know, if you play into May or June, it's the, oh, geez, like I was just here. But these guys were done. And I mean, essentially, they were done in like December, but they stopped playing at the beginning of April. So I really think that that plays a part in this. But look, when it comes to vibes, if you've got guys who are looking forward to getting back to the rink, 
and you've got a group in a positive mindset, it's going to put everybody else in a positive mindset. That's and how we, I feel every day about coming to work with you. You know baby. what? I wish I felt that. I have to go home and like talk to my therapist and talk to my wife and then call up my parents to try and put me in that bed. By 9 o'clock when I go to bed, I'm in that mood, BK. That's and just because you're going to bed. That's, that's true. And then I wake up and realize what what's happening next. But for, for this team that went through last year, you have the same group of players with the exception of Kevin Hayes here. That's funny. And Sonny. It was good to see him, by the way. He was in a great mood, as always. Just he trash-talked uh, Matthew Rocchio to us. That Lloyd Christmas look. Harry, or is it Lloyd Christmas, right, from Dumb and Dumber? Sure. Whatever. Anyway, that group now has that excitement to go into a season rather than the uncertainty of what they had in the past. And, frankly, I do buy stock into this going into training camp. Yeah, I, I do, too. And I, I think the part that was kind of, I don't know if you want to call it encouraging to hear, but the guy's saying it was a long off season. They're ready to get back at it. They, they want to go out and they want to prove – not only just us wrong, those of us that are down on the team, but they want to go out there, yeah, a.k.a. myself. Yeah, uh, they want to get back sure. out there, and, and I think they came off pretty clear here on content day because you're right. There are times these guys come here, they really don't want to be here, but they were talking to us. They had a good time. They were joking around with us, and like you said, they you get the vibe that things are different this year, and I got the vibe that they are ready to get back on the ice and start working tomorrow once training camp opens up. Which player gave you best shape of their life vibes and i'll give you the proper answer once you answer it best shape of their lives i'm trying yeah, to think the vibe best shape of their lives i feel like Kapanen looked like Cappen he was, was in good, good shape Dude, man he's got an arm sleeve verona looked so good jealous. too verona looked good the proper answer though was jordan Cairo. jordan Cairo took boxing lessons in the offseason jordan Cairo, no, no no best time shape out. of jordan Cairo took boxing lessons yesterday that's fine. Robert Thomas took boxing lessons during the offseason. We asked, we asked Thomas. <laughs> That's different. We asked Thomas. I said, uh, Kyra said he's been doing boxing. I said, how do you do? And Thomas goes, Psh, he's bad. And I go, he said he's like Muhammad Ali there. Okay. <laughs> so the chirping is at an all-time high right now. But it's just great to see these guys. I can't wait for training camp tomorrow because that does bring in that, that competitive vibe those competitive juices now that you get to see all of these guys i get to see my guy isaac ratcliffe on the ice you get your guy nick ritchie oh, i missed him today he walked past he was the here door. too early you guys should have seen it he walked past the door it was like in those teenage chick flick movies where they just sit there and stare that was bk nick ritchie was a little uncomfortable. i think he said i love you or something no no, no, no he no, said no, that to Torpchenko when he walked out <laughs> so alex was standing we're, we've got this this big studio out here it's a wonderful setup that we've got at centene community ice center and I'm standing by the door as one of the guys is leaving. I believe it was Alexei Torpchenko. Yeah. And Alex is standing on the other side of the room, so he can't hear me particularly well. But I say, hey, thanks, man. It was good to see you. And <laughs> Alex said, did, did you just say I love you I really, to Alexei Torpchenko as he was leaving the room? I said, no, man. I, I wouldn't say that. That's I, super weird. But I, if Troy Brower came up, <laughs> you better believe I would let him know how much I love and appreciate him. For some him. reason in my head, I like I pictured BK grabbing, shaking his hand, and then pulling Torpchenko and be like, hey, man. A little weird, it's man. something that I would definitely do, but yeah. I didn't in this specific <laughs> circumstance. Never going to be invited back to content. We did congrats. get this from the 314. And by the way, you guys can get involved in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved. This one comes from the 314. So you guys are saying that professional athletes showed up to work today with a good attitude, and that's something that you're celebrating? Yikes. Get a grip on yourselves. 
Yes, that is exactly something that I am celebrating today. Because far too often last year, that did not appear to be the Where, case. Where did you say that text came from, the 314? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 314 didn't come to work with a positive attitude. No, they I, did we 314. Absolutely not. Dude, content day last year, there were guys that felt like they didn't want to be here. That's not even the first day of the season. Yeah. And they're already seeming to be in a bad mood. This time, I'm telling you, people can't get the actual experience. But when you've got guys coming in, smiling, laughing, joking around with the other teammates, joking around with us who are making them read lines for radio, that that's a different vibe. And you can you can balk at it all you want, but if a group is We're in a positive about it, man. We don't balk about it here. That's what Brooke Grimsley and Polo Asensio do on their podcast, which you can check out at 101ESPN.com. Cha-ching! You're welcome, Mike Ryder. When <laughs> when guys are in that mindset, you kick off training camp the right way. And if you've got a group of guys that are trying to be competitive and competing against each other to earn a spot with that mindset, I, I think that goes a long way. And listen, things might go awry this Probably. season. It's entirely possible that this ends up meaning nothing. They get into the season, they lose their first three games, and the vibes go from great to hell. Get a grip of yourself. That can definitely happen. I am not suggesting that it cannot. But... This time last year, I had a pretty good idea of what the vibes were like inside of that locker room, and they were not great, to say the least. This time around, they feel a little better. I do also want to play a quick cut. This came from Braden Chin, the new captain of your St. Louis Blues, who was on with the fast lane yesterday. If you missed his conversation with the guys, be sure to check that out on the podcast page. It's presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Braden Chin was asked about what it means to build a culture inside of a locker room. I thought his answer was really insightful, and I want you guys to give this a listen. You know, culture is funny. It's a, it's a word that can mean many things. You know, everyone wants good culture. That could be that could be anywhere, right? That's just not around the rink. That could be around. You always have to find ways to shape it, um, especially in the sports world with you know people coming and going uh, on moving moving parts. But if you have a good foundation and enough guys buying into the culture, uh, you know, it makes it easier for other guys to hop on board with you. So if you look at the good teams and the good organizations that have been doing it for a while, St. Louis Blues included, um, you know, uh, it's, it's guys buying into the, the foundation of, of what makes a good team. And, and uh, we feel from last year, uh, you know, we didn't have enough of that. and we got to be better at holding each other accountable and, and uh um, you know, getting this thing uh, back on track because we feel we have a, a great team in this locker room. Um, you know, we, we have guys hungry. We have guys that are ready to prove, prove people wrong, and we're excited for the opportunity this year. This was this was a narrative last season that was, and I forgot who said it, but they talked about how the culture just felt like it was lost, and everyone was like, "Well, how do you get the culture back? What do you got to do? You got to trade players. You got to bring players in." Shen nailed it there. Like this isn't just something that you you build upon. The culture is winning, and they didn't get it last year. But that's where we go to the vibes of this team. That's why they named the captain, because they wanted to put themselves in a position that said, we are ready to compete again. Army talked about it yesterday with us that said, like, we're at the 50-yard line and we want to push north. We want to push to the offense. That's how you rebuild that culture and reinstate that culture that was there. And the benefit that this team has is it's the same group. You've got the same head coach who has the same mindset. You have different assistant coaches, but they all work under that same umbrella. You've got the same leadership core, but now you just have the captain. Frankly, it's actually a different leadership core that you lost so many of them last year. The culture and what Shen was talking about right there starts today, and I think the culture is built upon we were bad last year. We know we are not this bad. Let's start it off on the right note. Yeah, and I think back to something that I believe Jamie Rivers said on the air last week, if I'm not mistaken, where he was talking about his conversation that he had with Doug Armstrong and Craig Burb, and he said, hey, I, I think people need to know 
these guys are ready to win, and they will do so at the expense of guys that are unprepared to do what is necessary. It, it just feels like a different, like, there's almost been a page that has been turned. There is no more babying players. There is no more, all right, we'll meet you at your level right now. It is more of a, hey, this is what we're doing. And you guys can either get on board or you're going to have to be pushed to the side. And I think there's some value in that, man. I think last year there was a lot of, okay, we've got this guy who just signed a big contract and we need to figure out where he fits into our current situation. We've got these guys over here that are on expiring deals and they're trying to figure out what their future looks like and they need to do X, Y, and Z to make sure that they get that future taken care of. And we've got these guys that are young that need to be incorporated into the mix in a very specific kind of way as well. And you're almost trying to cater to all of their specific needs. And at the end of the day, instead of catering to the team, you cater to a bunch of individuals. And that is nobody's fault specifically. That is a situation that arise, or that was put in place for this team. And it ended up with the season going complete, completely off the rails as a result. That's what built last year's culture, was the very beginning of the season, people just not being on the same page from the get-go. The thing that changed this year is they are no longer in that spot. With so many guys that are having competing different interests, I think this year the team feels at least, based on just the conversations that we've had today, it feels more aligned. And that is, I'm saying that from the top of Doug Armstrong to the bottom of the very newest players, the youngest players that are currently on this roster. That is a huge thing that cannot go overlooked, and it is the first thing that is a prerequisite for a team to be a good team. Now they still need the defensemen to play better. They need the forwards to be a part of the back check. They need Bennington to have a better season than what he had a year ago. All of these things are going to be necessary. That's the on-ice product. But the off-ice stuff that allows the on-ice products to be what it needs to be, that is what today showed us, and that is why I feel good about the good vibrations that are taking place out here at the Cintine Community Ice Center. I'm picking up good vibrations. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk to the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, here on 101 ESPN. If you think we're excited about Blues hockey, just wait until you hear Chris Kerber here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to him coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, it sure sounds like we might have seen the last of Adam Wainwright starting in a Cardinals uniform. Will we see him in a different capacity, though, before the end of the year? We'll, We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. To the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I keep getting that question, man. I don't know. You know, we'll see. It's uh, two weeks left in this season. I don't know what's ahead of me, honestly. I know that I'm um, not pitching in San Diego. Maybe in at bat. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I might, I might get a couple innings in. I might get in at bat. We'll see, man. And I don't know. Bat. I don't know, but I know, I know it would be cool. Um, so no pressure, Ollie. That was Adam Wainwright on MLB Network yesterday talking about what the rest of the season is going to hold for him. Now, he made it very clear after his latest start in which he got career win number 200. Hey, I'm being held together right now by toothpick, toothpicks and bubblegum. Like, there is nothing there. My shoulder isn't right. Like, his body is a wonderland. the opposite of a wonderland right oh, okay. now. And he's feeling it. He's feeling the wear and tear of what's been a really difficult season for Adam Wainwright. 
Alex, yesterday the Cardinals were officially eliminated from playoff contention. Now, they have been practically eliminated from playoff contention for about four months. But in terms of the official date, that was yesterday. Wayno is not expected to pitch this weekend in San Diego, and we don't know if he's going to pitch, start, or relief again this year. If I had to construct the best way to finish out this season, Alex, I would say that final series of the year, uh, the, the last homestand against Cincinnati, I would have him pitch in one game, either out of relief or as a starter. I would personally go trying to close out a game in one of those three, um, but it's really hard to be able to play in on that because you don't know if you're going to be winning going into the ninth inning. But I think that would be very poetic given the way that he broke into the league. Um, and then I would have him DH on the final day of the season. The final game of the year, I would say, you know what? This season's over. It doesn't matter. Like, what are we going to do? Go out there and have, you know, uh, Richie Palacios as our designated hitter. Like, come on. Like, oh, why not? G- go out there with Wayno as your DH in the final game of the year. How would you go about his last, whatever, 10 games in a Cardinals uniform? For me, I think there's two different paths you go down. And you got to decide on the pitching first. Do you want him to close or do you want him to get that final start? Because those are your two options. To me, you start the final game of the regular season at home against Cincinnati. It's his ukulele day, by the way. I do want. He does his post game concert. He does his post game concert Saturday night. Oh, so then that will be the day that he is off. Yeah, so Friday he gets to pitch or hit, and then the other day he gets to do whatever he. uh, I think Sunday he pitches. Sure. So Friday he hits. So that's what I'm saying. Sunday you decide: Are you going to pitch? As a starter, and if not, then you get to be a closer Friday or Sunday. And then you get the at-bat one of the other days. That's how I would go sure. about this. And I would ask Wayno that. What way do you want to go out at Bush Stadium? Do you want that final start to where you're on the mound and we're going to give you as many innings as you can provide us, or do you want to go out the way that you came in? And that is closing out a game. And frankly, I think that should be Wayno's decision. Sure. And then the at-bat should be that other day because he does deserve an opportunity to DH because hasn't he always said, what's his career batting average? Didn't he want it to be like 200 or something like that? I, I thought he wanted so. it to be a specific number, and he was like just short of it. So his career batting average at the moment is – No, I just tried to pull up. it up too. You asked me and I was completely come on, Come on. Do, 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 254. Okay, so 254? Oh, no, sorry. That's his no, batting average again. <laughs> <laughs> well, while BK looks for that, that's the way I think as poetic as you can ask for Wayno to go out as the starter or the closer and to get those three at-bats. He's a career 193 yeah. hitter. So you're not so, going to get to 200. You know. Unless you just dominate. Yeah, no, they, no, you're not. What do you mean, no? Six for six bats. puts you at 200. Yeah, you're going to have to have the, the rest of the season. He's your designated yeah. hitter, and just every single time he's just going up there hitting bombs. Yeah, okay. Why not? Why not? Who I mean, says I no. I don't know who they're calling up with this Burley injury. Like, hey, Wayno. he becomes a batter. Yeah, Could exactly. Wayno be an outfielder? Sure. That's why how not? you get him back to get uh, chased down 50 more wins. Uh, honestly, if he says, I want to play in the outfield, I, fine. <laughs> I have no issue with not that. Not much else that can go wrong. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I, I think it would be poetic to see him try and close out a game. Um, I, I, if I had to guess, I think they're going to have him start one more final game. Whether it be, it's going to be during that home stand. My guess it would probably be that Sunday, as you said. And I do like the idea of getting him an at bat because he's one of the very few, or he will be one of the very few pitchers that will pitch a long time that did have National League rules. And like, let's just be honest, is a pitcher that enjoys hitting. You hear him talking about it. A lot of those pitchers couldn't get the DH fast enough coming to the National League. Uh, but I will say. I'm okay if the Cardinals said let's not let's not have him pitch again. 
let's let that be the poetic ending that was 200 wins was a Wayno-esque outing that you were expecting him to grind through seven innings, put up shutout ball against the Milwaukee Brewers because I, I that is such a great ending for the for a great career from Adam Wainwright compared to if you do try to whether it be closing and he blows the game and yep. you end up losing or he does get a start and instead of being able to go six innings and give you a quality start he goes like three and gets hit for seven. See, I don't think that takes anything away from Wainwright. Like, uh, no, still I agree with that. that. I agree with that, but I, I think it's it would be I think it's better to have a poetic finish in terms of just kind of ending where it is. Uh, yeah, that was the way you know, that we saw most of the year. It just feels weird to me if like you don't see him again for two weeks. I actually don't feel that way at all. I'm fine yeah. with see, it. See, I, I just maybe I'm the bigger Cardinals fan than both of you. Like you're Royals wow. fan. God only knows Whoa. with you, but maybe I'm the bigger well, Cardinals I'm, fan. I mean, if you want to say it to him, that's fine. To me, that's maybe that's I'm just uh, the bigger fan of the Cardinals history. You're not to where you're, you don't root, you don't root it that you way. You were the most Bob negative Gibson about them ever. Went home a month before the end that of his was, final that season. That was his decision. But as a Cardinals fan, I would love to see more. Bob, what? <laughs> fair. Um, what if it is a a physical thing where Wayno says, "I I don't know that I could throw again." I don't believe that from Wayno. I, oh, I do. I, I, do. <laughs> I think there's a real chance that, like, I I think if he didn't get 200 earlier this week, I don't think he was getting it. I think he knew it, and I think this led to some of the success that we saw from Albert last year as well, where he he could see finally at the end the writing on the wall of this is it. This is the end for me. And so you just give everything you've got. I think in that last start for Wayno, he threw everything he had at the win and said, I got to get it right here. Because if I don't get it here, I don't know that I could go out there and do this again. And if that is indeed the case, and I, I think there's a real chance that it was, I've got no problem with him shutting it down and saying, you know what? No matter what I do the rest of the way, the, net, the final two weeks of this season, it is not going to be a better moment. It is not going to be able to live, live up to what I just experienced. And I would look him in the face and say, I disagree, Wayno. I what? would like to see you come out of the bullpen to close a game out. So that that I can understand. The, the problem is there is real risk. Like, I don't think it changes anything in the way that yeah. anybody feels about it. it if anything, he just helped us get a better draft pick. <laughs> like, come on. It's it, it could be the, the lasting impression in his own mind of the last time that I stepped on a baseball field, I was as good as I ever was. But think of the I last seven innings against a playoff team of scoreless ball, and I went out there and proved to myself and to everybody else, I still got but it. But think about the lasting image for Cardinals fans, and that's 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 what that's I would like. That's it, though. That's a, that's a damn good yeah. one, dude. Yeah, His but... final time that you saw him in a Cardinals uniform, you'll remember two things. One, Jamie Rivers threw out the first pitch, because, of course, we're all going to remember that piece to it. And two... He threw, he threw seven scoreless innings in one career uh, game number Again, 200. I, I get being a casual Cardinals fan, but try being a diehard once in your life. Says the guy that's negative on an offense that is top 10 in baseball. I never Don't said me negative on offense. I said inconsistent on um, offense. And prove me wrong. Every offense is inconsistent. But By the I, way, end of the day, this comes down to what? Wayno wants, wants, wants to do. Absolutely. If Wayno wants to start, he yep. starts again on that final homestand. If he says, you know what, I kind of like the idea of coming out and even if it's not closing, one inning of relief. Give me a bullpen. I'll just yeah. go out of the bullpen. It's the way that I came into the league. Let me do that on the way out. Cool. If he doesn't want to pitch anymore, great. Do you want an at-bat? Cool. Do you want to be the DH the entire final series of the season? Fine. I have no problem with whatever it is that Wayno wants to do because that's what the season is now. Now it's about moments for fans and for Adam Wainwright. If Ollie doesn't give him an at-bat, fireable offense. 
I'm not that far on him. We got some bats, you know, we got to showcase. Like, who? Quantrell or whatever his name is. You can't even pronounce his name. I I did want to bring this up before we get out of here because one of you guys asked the question of who are they going to bring up now that Burleson's going to be on the injured list. Somebody was really concerned about that? Well, I don't know who you're bringing up. You you have three options that are on the 40-man right now. Come on, man. I think Alex might be interested in one of these. I'm sure Moyes is coming. No, Lil Poppy is... uh, Little Poppy has seen his days. Yvonne Herrera is one option. Okay. Michael Ciani is another option. Who? If you told me 10 minutes ago, Michael Ciani, was he a member or was he somebody that appeared in Goodfellas or somebody <laughs> that is currently on the Cardinals Absolutely 40-man Goodfellas. roster? I would have guessed Goodfellas um, or Moises Gomez. So those are your three options. I yep. think they probably will bring up Michael Ciani. Well, I he's can, a left-handed bat. I would can break. I shoot that down real quick? Because we assume Burley's going on the IL today, right? Yeah. Memphis is getting ready to play. Their lineup's out. Siani's in it. Is Gomez? Moises Gomez in it? No. Yeah. Uh, that, that Herrera would be, is not in it either, by the but way. But that would be my guess is Moises Gomez because he's an outfielder. And I know like nobody believes he can play outfield, which is like fine, whatever. I mean, neither can Burles. <laughs> exactly. Like Whoa. You're going to give him a, you're gonna give him a shot so you can say, okay, let's cross that one off the list moving forward. It'll be Moises Gomez. What, do you, what would you predict, final thing on this? Wayno final series. Does he pitch? If so, in what capacity? Does he get an at-bat? And if so, is it as the DH or just a pinch? I think he starts. I think it's the final game of the season, and I do believe he gets a, an at-bat as DH. I think he just gets an at-bat. I don't think he starts. I think, I think he'll go out on top for 200 with that seven-inning performance. I'm with T-Bone. You guys are freaking haters. I, I, don't, I don't think he pitches again, and I think it will be his decision. I think he will say, I don't need to go back out there. I did everything that I came here to accomplish this this, this season on a personal level, obviously not on a on a team level, and I want to have that as the lasting image of me. I want one more at bat, one more at bat, probably against a left-handed pitcher. All right, and he's hitting a home run, right? Like we all see it. No, he's definitely going to strike out. Yeah. Coming up next, Looking. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, <laughs> here on 101 ESPN. The PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T Bone, I'm BK. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We are broadcasting live at the EMB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues had content day today. They will begin training camp starting up tomorrow. And we are very happy to be joined in person, in studio, by the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. You can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Chris Kerber. Kerbs, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? This was our home for what felt like a year and a half of doing <laughs> hockey games remotely. Yep. Don't miss that. Yep. Our intimate. No, I don't miss. I don't miss that oh. at all. I, 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 T Bone uh, and I still have nightmares of being uh, for nine thirty starts against the Vancouver Canucks oh. and ending post game at like two a.m. Yeah, but we had some great meals though, didn't we? Like we made oh, the yeah. best of. It. We we stopped at some great restaurants well, and brought brought Doty dinners ate most in. Most of it though. <laughs> Doty didn't leave any for anybody I'm else. T- listen, listen. We went up to Paul Mano's. Well, one night, and I'd, I'd, I'd stop in, and you know, and you're helping all the different restaurants and the people you know through COVID, right? And you're so we, I said, Paulie, so I ordered up this meal from Paul and I brought it down here, and it's this great Italian meal. And we got, I mean, we've got, we've got some, some of his great pasta, and we've got the, the sea bass special he always has, and just this, the great stuff. We each had a Paul's salad in there, and I mean, Dodie plowed through it. I, I'd say it if he's sitting right here, so I know, right? 
And then we're like doing the game, and the TVs are right in front of where you guys are sitting. And so you kind of see underneath Doty. I, I mean, it's not like we're not like ten minutes after we just finished this great feast, and he's digging into the Fritos and bean dip, like the canned bean dip that will last through a yeah. nuclear holocaust, right? And we're like, oh my god, like Doty, like. You're going to die. Like, that's what we said to him during the break. We're like, you can't, like, that's a, like, you're still eating. And so we, 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 then, then we teased Dodie. And, and, then, and then when Dodie, uh, he filled in for Ryan Schulte for us one time, just as a gift, we left him a can of bean dip on right the chair. Yeah. And then the one time, Joey, I didn't even know bean dip still existed. Oh, yeah. But I had that as a kid. I, bean I, dip? I, I oh, yeah. don't know the, the I, stuff he might have been eating might have been still on the shelf from when you were a kid. <laughs> Joey yeah. brought in his sourdough bread the one game, too. And, and, like, it's a big loaf of bread. He oh, brought yeah. it in for me, for Curbs, and for Doty. And by the end of that game, Three quarters of that loaf was gone. Yeah. Like Dodie, how did you eat that sourdough that, bread? That's how my child. We're teasing my, him with affection right yeah, now. Yeah, so right? of course, yeah, okay. my two-month-old kid, he'll go three hours without eating, and then when he's ready to go, you would think that he has never eaten before, and that's basically the way that Dodie operates. Hey, listen, uh, we did with our kids, if, and it, this is fantastic because uh, you'll you'll get within range in the next two months or so when you can start this, but teaching your kids. At that age, sign language. Oh, sure, yeah, is massive. So my sister, who, whose kids are a few years older than than mine, when she babysat for Gracie for us once, and we said, "No, this is for more." When she yep. wants more, and yep. she'll tell you when she wants to eat and when she wants milk are all done. And she goes, "If I had taught my kids that, it would have saved me hours." Yep. And it is the coolest thing is the parent was that here are these little things that can't do much on their own, but poop, yep. right? And they can communicate to you, mm-hmm. and and, and you know, they just they just can't speak the words, yeah. right? But sure enough, I mean, and she you she tag on you, she'd go like this. Okay, mm-hmm. you want to eat, and you just put food. It was just awesome. trying to teach my two year old the poop sign language. Remember from uh, what was it? Meet Meet the Fockers. Yeah, where you know he yeah. taught her how. To, I'm trying to teach her that she doesn't get it. <laughs> she just like poop. She'll get it. I pooped. Plain You'll simple. get it, but teach the sign like You'll have fun as a parent. We did more. That. We've yeah. taught her more. Yeah, it's a neat one. Chris Kerber is joining us in studio. If you don't know, he's the voice of the Blues. <laughs> uh, he's going to be along uh, for the ride this upcoming season on your home of the Blues 101 ESPN. All right, Kerbs, let's talk a little bit about this team. We mentioned on our opening segment today, the vibes just feel different this mm-hmm. year. And you can feel that sometimes when you walk into the room, you talk into the guys. Last year, the, it, it just felt tense. Uh, whenever we were doing the exact same day this time last year, it, it wasn't that anybody was mean or angry or anything like that. You could just you could feel the tension uh, compared to what it is this year. The guys feel loose this time around, and I do think that is something that is meaningful. That doesn't mean they're going to go on to win the Stanley Cup. It doesn't guarantee success this season, but it is the prerequisite of having success going into any individual season. What's been your read on the team in the early portion of what you, you've been able to see? Well, I think I think first off, you've got to go back and wrap up last season, and Braden Chen touched on that in his press conference yesterday. So I believe in the first couple days of training camp, maybe even the first game of the regular season, there might be a few questions from from media about last season. I get the sense from Braden Chen, like, okay, we'll answer a couple questions, but we're really turning the page. Um, then I, I so in, in wrapping that up from last year, I think about. What Doug Armstrong said in his postseason pressers, what Craig Berube said, frankly, all the players, I mean, they all said the same thing in different ways, talking about they didn't feel like they came together as a team. So the, the natural you know, route to explore through the offseason is why was that? 
One of the things that I think has surfaced when you talk to some people now, having had the offseason to digest last year, was maybe an underestimation by the team. And by the team, you know, you're talking maybe, and Doug Armstrong has touched on this, Craig Berube's touched on this. And so, so more the, the management and the coaching aspect of it, of the impact of having as many impactful players as the Blues had on expiring contracts. And it's not something that we have really, if you think of all the questions you guys have asked to, to NFL players or teams or, or, or analysts and, and, and then NBA, MLB, all, all, the, all the major sports, it's not a topic that I, I honestly have heard discussed too of, much. in the NFL more so than any other sport. Because that's the one sport with the, where they, they could get cut, and frankly, those players will hold out and fight for an extension right. a lot earlier. But to have a season carry through where as many guys, and they were key guys on expiring contracts, there's talking about that maybe they underestimated the impact of that. And yeah. it doesn't mean that that selfishness grew in. I think it means that human nature came in. What's my future? Where am I next? Trade deadline talk starting in December, January. And that all started to play a role. So when Braden Shen said yesterday that he felt that they, they got behind the eight ball a little bit, uh, maybe maybe not as focused as they need to be earlier, but they when they tried to catch up, they just couldn't get that traction. You wonder how much that played a part in it. So move that forward to this year. There were a lot of guys in town early. There were a lot of guys. There were, there were a whole group of guys like Oscar Sunko that, that actually were here pretty much all summer. Uh, they were practicing together. They can't practice with coaches per the rules, but you know Philip McRae. Yeah. You know, who, who's running the hockey school here at, at, at Centene Community Ice and was out on the ice with prospects and things like that. Like, there, there was like a commitment to getting back to some of the core things, almost like the shock to the system happened. I think that's what you're feeling, you know, Brandon, when you're talking about the guys coming in and this vibe. There's an eagerness to get going. And sure, some of it may be the longer offseason, but there are certain clouds and question marks in terms of individual contracts and things that don't really seem to exist right now. Having said that, you still have Sammy Blay on a one-year, Kepin and Verona. You those have those. It. That's different than a guy that is looking for a long-term extension. Those guys are, are trying to prove themselves to get back to that's what they your, That's right. Were. That's something to prove versus – you're there. Yeah, I've earned kind this. Of Why aren't you giving Correct. me what I have it's right now? It's like a PTO. Right. You're not just trying out for the team that's brought you in. You're trying out for every other team around the National Hockey League, and that's the same can be said for a guy yeah. like Kapanen and Verona. But it's still, but it's still, even though that those situations are different, the human nature part of that is something that I think Doug Armstrong, Craig Berube, and, and, and the coaching staff and everybody is a little more aware of because of what for they sure. dealt with last year. Because yeah. at some point in time, if you if if guys get slotted in certain areas, right, and maybe and, – and look, this isn't predictive. This is just scenario talking, okay? If Jacob Verana – Yakub, If Yakub, I'll get – I'll figure out which way I'm going to say it by the start of the year. If, if Yakub Verana comes, you know, and slides down the roster a little bit, because maybe Jake Neighbors steps up. Maybe, maybe a bull duke comes on the scene in camp here and just proves – who knows? They uh, now you have to you will deal with some of that mental part because he knows. Hey, I want a chance to prove myself because there's that, and I just think that this team, from a management aspect, is going to be a little more equipped on how and why, and th- that those situations if they creep in will get dealt with. And 
and it's the old 4 H you learn by doing. And last year was a hell of a learning experience. Curves leadership uh, side of things. I think everybody was on the same page. They expected Braden Shen. If they were going to name a captain, it was going to be Braden Shen. But how impactful of a decision is that on that team? I think in the end, how many times did we talk about this? And it, it you kind of got the vibe that it might go the co-captain route. Yeah. yeah. Got the vibe a lot, I actually. looked up two days ago how <laughs> many teams – I looked up every single team. I have it in my uh, my email right now. How many teams have had a co-captaincy during the course of their season? They would have been the because first Because I was wondering. I thought yeah. that was what the expectation They would have been the first be. team since the 80s with the Penguins. Uh, the, yeah, the Blues had it with um, – Oh man! They had it with Paul Gretzky and, and no, 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 no. But that this was, was losing the captaincy. No, this was ah. Uh, oh, there were two guys that year. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, and, and I looked it up just yesterday. Bernie Federico and I were going through the captains, you know, because oh, really? he played with so yeah, many. Yeah, I was going to say he 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 really bridged the gap with so many of them. I, I think in the end they looked at everything and they looked at at, at a couple of key factors. And one is you have young players. You have to show young players a direction. We've seen what happens in sports when you have the rudderless ship of true leadership to show the guys the way. I think Doug Armstrong, in fairness to him, did so much due diligence on this and talking to former players, former captains, Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame coaches, all those all those people that he talked to. He really wanted to make sure that if we do just go this one captain right and 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 Remember also making sure that there's the breathing room for these young players to come into their own. Uh, I, I do think he did his due diligence, and in the end, he looked at it and said, "There really, true is, is is one guy right now with his style of play, um, the vocalness. They want more vocality in that position because they want more accountability in the room. Again, part of the learning curve of last year. That uh, in the end, they looked at it, and then you look at this coach. You need a guy with this coach." that can be the stopgap mm-hmm. because he's a demanding coach. And that's not a negative, but Craig told us a story the other day of one point he was going to go into the room and Alex Petrangelo just stopped him in the hallway and said, we got it. And Craig Berube said, that's what you want. Yep. Because of his history, both as a young player in Philadelphia and then now in St. Louis, the championship run, the expectations, the, the unfortunate scenario of last season – Braden Shen has ridden those highs and lows with Craig Berube. He's the guy to stop him in the hallway and say, we got it. And uh, I, I think it ends up being a very impactful choice for this franchise. All right, a couple of uh, superlatives that I want to throw your way. Just quick hitters here, yep. Curb. So we're talking to Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN, your home for the St. Louis Blues. Who's the guy that appears to be in the best shape of his life today? Ooh. Well, I haven't seen him hit the ice yet until yesterday. I don't care. You can so see, we're looking at – You can tell. We're looking at uh, – you Actually, did you see Pareko's biceps? I'm coming – I'm going to tell you guys a guy who I think has come into camp in great shape and, and by the way, did so last year as well. It's Jordan Cairo. That's what he That's said. What I said. <laughs> he said the and same BK thing. Jordan Cairo. on it. I'm with, uh, Jordan, Jordan Cairo, from a fitness standpoint, comes in ready to go. Yeah. looks like He looks yep. like Muhammad Ali when so. he was in here with us. He's got those boxing moves. He's ready for a I couple went with of Cappy. I think Cappy looks like Cappy he's in the best shape yeah. that he's been in. Verona did too. Yeah. I, mean, I love the personalities of things yeah. in Swedes. Oh, I yeah. really do. They're always good. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, honestly, it was nice to see Sonny because you've only heard about Sonny with these teams and dealing with the injuries that he's gone through since he was here. It was nice to see Sonny. Sonny looked like he was in the, re- the proper shape to start training camp. He did. And the challenge is, is when you're Oscar Sundquist, you are a player that plays one way. Yep. And you play one way that is going to abuse your body. Yep. And so injuries are going to be part of his story. We know that going in, that's okay. 
because you know what you're getting on the ice every time yeah. he steps on. Mm-hmm. Who is the Blues player that is going to surprise fans by how he plays this year? You're going to take that in any direction. Maybe it's a guy that's already been here for a number of years that elevates his game or a guy that they've never seen before, never heard of really, and ends up having some kind of a role. Who's the guy that surprises fans I'm going year? with a guy that his name keeps coming up every time I ask somebody a question. Nick Ritchie. Dickinson. Uh, Isaac Ratcliffe. Dickinson. Dickinson. Yeah. Uh, he, he, uh, uh, Do we have a first name? Tanner. Tanner Dickinson. T-Bone. Okay. Oh, Remember friends. this? We talked about him. They, he, he was having a good year. He broke his leg. He tried to come back from this, and whatever the, the, the procedure was didn't quite right. So he had to go back in. He finally got back, started playing last year. The team feels highly and looks upon this young man highly enough that he was a focal point of Chris Thorburn Hmm. and Chris Thorburn would go. And even while he was rehabbing, talk with him and he was showing him videos. Hey, this is what it was like when you were playing. This is the goal. These are some of the goals you scored. This is that, this is that. And they really kept him mentally going. When I've talked with people that have been on the ice with him, when you'd asked uh, Tim Taylor about him, I asked Tim Taylor who might've been one of the most impressive guys in the prospect camp. Dickinson, I talked to somebody today that was on the ice, so not just through prospect camp, but then also in the most recent, you know, like the tournament up up in Chicago and all that, or Minnesota. And they go, he's absolutely flying. I said, he's got the hands too? He goes, yeah. And he's one that is so far off the radar because he missed a whole yeah. year of hockey, no one's looking at him. So where exactly is he going to slot BK more to your question? I don't know, but... Too many people have brought his name up as excited to see how good he looks right now that I'm, one, pulling for the young man because of what he had to do to get back into playing pro hockey, but two, uh, I'm excited to see if he can be impactful somewhere. Is he more skill or two-way ask? And I'm asking this generally because I don't know much about him. Yeah, I don't, to be honest with you, I can't answer that one yet at the moment just because when you've missed that kind of time. Yeah. Okay, two-way, yes, right? Where the hands and everything get going into competition, we, we will wait and see. Because 35 games in his final mm-hmm. junior year, he had 18 goals and 47 points. So he puts up numbers. Yes. Yeah, 40, yeah. 40 goal score is what I heard right here from Chris Kerber <laughs> on BK and Ferrario. <laughs> That's, we have the hot takes here on. I was not speaking Swedish. <laughs> <laughs> the Tan Man, Tanner Dickinson. That is the name to watch. Sorry, for Tanner, you lost blues. your nickname. Uh, oh, no, he doesn't darn. like that one. Yeah. Tan Man oh, is uh, Tan Man's. It's, it's gone. It's probably because he can't tan. Uh, he's got T Bone. Tan Man is Tanner Dickinson. Curbs, we appreciate the time. Good. Looking forward to doing this throughout the NHL season with yep. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues. He'll join us each and every Wednesday here on BK and Ferrario. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. A couple of updates here from the NFL. According to Ian Rappaport, quarterback Bryce Young, who got his ankle checked out after the game, did not practice today because of an ankle injury. So uh, Bryce Young dealing with some early season ankle issues. I have not heard that before. The bigger issue, though, is what's taking place today in Chicago. What's taking place in Chicago? The well, Cubs? the Bears' left tackle is headed to the IR. He's got a neck injury. It might be a season-ending Probably neck from injury. Turning around so much and seeing Justin Fields on the ground. Well played. Uh, their defensive <laughs> coordinator is MIA. What? Matt Eber- Eberflus. They don't know. Uh, Matt Eberflus, the head coach, quote, declined to give an update or any clarity on any part of whether or not he is still employed as the defensive coordinator. All right. So that's good. And then Justin Fields spoke with the media to clear everything up as to what's gone wrong so far this season in Chicago. He said that he acknowledged that he has been playing too robotic within the pocket, then decided to explain why he believes he's been playing too robotic, put in a word, quote, coaching, end quote. I don't blame him. When you know you got a bad coach, you got a bad coach. On the plus side, they are playing against the Kansas City Chiefs this weekend. No, I'm sure everything good. will maybe, go very well. Maybe that's why the defensive coordinator left. He doesn't want to stop off. <laughs> he doesn't want to have to deal with that team. He's like, ah, oh, bleep me. Are you kidding? <laughs> he said, I'm getting out in front yeah. of this thing. He, he pulled a Frank Haith. You remember that? Frank Haith was very close to getting fired at Missouri. He was like, nope, you cannot fire me. I am taking the job at Tulsa. I quit. <laughs> that, was in, that was in the office. Like, you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah, that that is uh, what appears to be happening right Smart. now with Chicago Bears. Good stuff. Well, I'm so glad that Justin Fields is a part of my fantasy football team, and I'm so glad that Justin Fields has got it figured out. Uh, they need better coaching to make him a better quarterback. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. They sound like a team that's cleaning house, whether it be soon or at the end of the year. Oh, yeah, everybody's getting fired. They, they should fire they, everybody now. And I, he won't be fired because he's a player. Fields is not the franchise quarterback moving forward. Read between I, the lines. I, I, if you're going to restart on your coaching yeah, staff, you can't, you can't you're start, probably restarting at QB. The bad part for him is you can't blame the coaching because that you look just you look like an idiot you doing that. Robotic. But I also feel like you need a better coach to get it the best out of him. The Patriots should trade for Justin Fields. All right, um, from the six three six guys, what is your Jones? Huh? Exactly why I think that they should trade for Justin Fields. What is your favorite park to go to in the St. Louis or St. Charles area? Alex, you've got kids. I, I do. Yes, there are. T Bone, you're ones a kid. Yeah. <laughs> T Bone, you like slides, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. Are you a swing or a slide guy? Oh, I'm a swing guy. I'm a swing guy as well. Nothing like that thrill of almost touching the I'm ground. I'm a water slide guy, but I'm, I'm more of a swing guy on land. <laughs> 
water slide guy, but I'm more of a swing. Okay, whatever you say, man. Uh, like, by the way, what's the, the um? And somebody can help me on the text line because I'm blanking on this. But I used to go to this all the time. Forest? They, no, it's not Forest Park. I'm not. Come on now. It's the park by Ted Drews. Um, Chippewa? Yeah. God, what is like Mackenzie Park? I think it's called. Uh, that one is my ultimate favorite. But also Susan Park out by me, like in the South County area. They've got like a little. A farm with animals, that's a really good spot, too. Um, Forest Park is too easy of an answer. Yeah, Of course we love Forest Park. It's free, like the zoo. All parks free. It's kind of the whole thing. I'm sure somebody charges at a park. Do you think so? Why not? It's a nice way to make money. You claim that park your own. A park that is near us out in the St. Charles area is called J.C. Park. J-A-Y-C-E-E. We were not aware of it until we moved into the area, and I got to be honest with you, man. It is awesome. It is a super cool area, and we've gone there with Kara's nieces and nephews a few different times. I am very excited yeah. uh, for us to be able to take Luke over there. He's sure. currently a bit too young. Nieces but... and nephews. You're on that swing by yourself like a sure. freak every single night. Uh, Francis Park is apparently what you're thinking of. Yeah, Francis According Park. Yes, thank line. you. That's what it is. Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 314. Guys, do you think that the Bears coach will be the first coach fired this year after what we have just heard? Ooh, I think he's going to be the first coach midseason fired. Uh, Brandon Staley is really trying hard to you be. You can't the first fire him fired. midseason, though. Brandon Staley, yeah. Why not? Because you went, you backed that horse at the beginning of the season. You should have fired him at the beginning Mike of the season. Mike Babcock, they backed that horse well, by hiring him yeah. in the offseason and fired him before he coached a well, game. You know what? That I could have told you that was going to be a bad idea at the beginning of the hiring. But like sure. you, you could have fired Staley in the offseason and went after one of the coaches, and instead you said no. We're fine with him. You have to ride that horse to the end and then fire him in the offseason when more options are available. Chicago is the only one that would make the most sense in terms of midseason firing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Chicago, I think Iberflus will be the first one out because I could see the Chargers doing it in season, but I still have faith that Justin Herbert can kind of get that turned around. There's no sign that Chicago is going to go win, what, four football games right now? Like, there's just – I don't feel that way about them to the point where it is at some point they're going to have to look at – what's going on and go okay we're 0 and 5 we don't even look competitive Matt Eberflus can't even locate his defensive coordinator and Justin Fields is blaming the coaching staff it's time to clean house sounds like it so, can't get worse I would say he's definitely going to be the first one fired coming up in about 15 minutes or so we'll continue with some NFL quick hitters including Tua is currently the favorite in Vegas to win the MVP this season would you agree with that if not who would you have as the current favorite to do so we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so but coming up next Man, it's wild. I didn't think that this player was going to be a lightning rod for discussion here in St. Louis, but Alec Burleson has suddenly become a player where there are either people that are all in or all out on him. We'll discuss where we stand on Alec Burleson as his rookie season has officially come to an end. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. <laughs> High fly ball, deep right. Into the corner goes Freeland. As far as he can go, Richie Palacios has hit a moonshot. And the Cardinals get a run back. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That audio courtesy of Valley Sports Midwest. 
That was last night with Alec Burleson, who hit a double, ended up having a really nice night for himself. Unfortunately, left after he slid into third base, fractured his finger. He's going to be out for the remainder of this season. Alex, last night, our friend Katie Wu put on Twitter something to the effect of what has been an encouraging season for Alec Burleson comes to an end after his injury. Rut row. Come on, Katie. You knew better than that. She got a ton of flack from Cardinals fans saying, this has not been an encouraging season. Alec Burleson has been a disaster. I can't believe that you would suggest such a thing. When you look at the numbers, just the traditional numbers, it hasn't been a great year for Burleson. I'm not going to pretend that it has. 245 hitter, got on base 30% of the time, a slugging percentage of 390. He's about 13% below league average. When you're looking for similar rookie seasons from recent Cardinals hitters, you're looking at guys like Daniel Descalso, Colby Rasmus, Colton Wong, and Oscar Tavares. Alex, when you think back at what we have seen this year in his 300 at-bats, how would you categorize the rookie season that we saw from Alec Burleson? Expected. I... I the people that would say it's a disappointment, correct me if I'm wrong, Alec Burleson wasn't this highly touted prospect. No. Alec Burleson was expected, uh, he was a throw-in piece of a trade, wasn't he? No, he was no, a no. draft He was pick. a draft pick? Okay. He was a, top he was a highly pa- he touted. He was top 100 prospect in baseball. But we're not acting like this was supposed to be Jordan Walker. No. Alec Burleson is exactly what we've seen him. He is a left-handed power bat that probably is best served as a designated hitter or a bench bat. One thing that you said that I think Cardinals fans would take exception with, and uh, honestly, I probably would too, I think people expected him to be a power bat based upon his his presence. He's not. At least not yet. He might become one. And in fact, this is why I'm optimistic about Alec Burleson, is that I think he will add a little more power to his game. But thus far... He has not been a power hitter. But the, the, He's very much a contact-oriented hitter. And that goes back to more of like a Matt Adams type almost, where it doesn't really fit with the body type that you're looking at, the image that you see on your television. But he has one of the highest contact rates in all of baseball. Derek Gould had a really good piece earlier today uh, in the St. Louis po- uh, Post-Dispatch about how he actually needs to swing less. One of his issues is he's swinging at everything. Because I think he's trying to be a power hitter because that's what he's expected to be. I, I would go the opposite. I think it's because he has been such a great bat-to-ball hitter in his career that I think he's just he thinks he can hit everything. He genuinely believes in his talent too much. That final season in Memphis, though, where he had 25 doubles and 20 home runs, it felt like it was that season of like, oh, Alec Burleson is this big power bat. And maybe this was more on a fan perspective of saying like they desperately need that because Nolan Gorman was coming and they're like, man, we need more power in the lineup. And you get this guy in the minors kind of like what Luke and Baker is. Now, Baker is more yeah. of a power hitter than Burleson. For sure. I, I, I don't. If people did view him as a power hitter, we, you shouldn't. He, that, that's not who he is. But I think that's why so many people are viewing this as, oh, well, it was a bad season for Alec Burleson. He's not hitting home runs. He's only got eight home runs this season, and he's striking out a lot. That's just the role that it felt like Alec Burleson was handed this season to be like, oh, you're going to be a fourth outfielder and a power bat. He's not that. Well, then let's erase that. Like, whatever it is that I don't was know the if preconceived can, notion of what Alec Burleson was supposed to be, stop. He's not that. He's a contact hitter. This is a guy that's going to put the bat on the ball. And the results this year were not good enough. He has to improve. And also, the guy is 24 years old. I fully anticipate that he will improve. 
Listen to what Ollie Marmol had to say yesterday after the game about Alec Burleson and why he is so high on the development that we could see from Alec Burleson. He's a guy that, as he continues to understand the strike zone and control the strike zone, I think we're going to see even better numbers from him. Um, his actual numbers this year, you can sit there and say, why, why are you so excited about this guy? But I think when you start looking under the hood of what he's capable of doing, the style of pitching that he gets to, it's actually an impressive bat. And you give that another full season, another full season. I think you have a really good left-handed bat off the bench. You have a guy that can play different positions in the outfield first. Um, is he an above-average defender? No, but he can he can play out there, and he can give you a really good at bat. So I like having Burley. I think we have a really good hitter on our hands. Yeah, and I'm, I'm kind of with Ollie Marmol. You know, if you get him to just focus on hitting things and punishing things that are in the zone, and punishing is probably not the right word because you guys are right. He is more of a contact hitter. But he does hit the ball fairly hard. And if that's the case, he's going to get, whether it be singles, doubles, probably not going to show off the home run power, but he could probably be a gap-to-gap double hitter. And and I think that's where it comes to he makes a lot of contact, but if he's going to chase things out of the zone, then he then he's not going to be able to punish those pitches in the zone. And I think he – I think – if he can cut down the chasing out of the zone, I think he is a guy that can draw more walks too. I, I think he can bring, he has a good eye because you don't make contact with a baseball, be a bat to ball skill hitter. If you don't have a good eye and if he's got a good eye, he starts to learn a strike zone a little bit better. I think the walks will go up, but I think it's been a good, I think it's been a fine season for Alec Burleson. I won't say it's great. I won't see it, say it's been bad. I think he's been kind of what expectations were. Can you be a, fourth outfielder slash a left-handed bat off the bench. And I think he's been that. And the fact of the matter that he doesn't strike out a ton is an encouraging sign because you would want that from a guy that's going to be a pinch hitter in a game. What do we need? We need contact in this situation. Who do you go to? You go to Alec Burleson. Not a lot of teams have a guy that is like that coming off the bench. They've got guys that can hit for power, no doubt about it. But those guys swing and miss a lot too, and they strike out a ton as well. So this comes from Turner Ward because you guys know I, I think it's fair to say Ollie a little more analytically minded. Now, this is not to suggest he's like a purely numbers guy. I don't believe that to be the case. But uh, he, he skews more that direction, especially compared to some of our listeners for sure. I think it's fair to say Turner Ward's more of an old school mentality. Turner you Ward think is, that's fair? Turner Ward is closer related to, I think, a larger fan base that are Cardinals fans. Okay, so we're all on the same page there. He was quoted, Turner Ward was, in Derek Gould's piece earlier today saying this about Alec Burleson. Quote, he's got better. He's got one of the better young hitter swings that I have ever seen. I know what swings work really well up here. He actually said really good up here. And what works even better is having a good swing, good approach, and being able to tactically beat the pitcher with that swing. But add to it. How am I going to approach that style of hitter? Because his swing is so good, he was and should be stubborn with what he does. I want guys to be stubborn, but also open and curious to what else I can do to perform a little bit better. That is one thing that in this piece, Alec Burleson opens up about and says, listen, I was a little too stubborn this year. I should have been more open to some of the ideas that they were trying to give me. He said he trusted his swing almost too much because in his entire career, go look at his minor league numbers, guys. His entire career at every level, he is hit. He hits and hits and hits, and it doesn't matter who the pitchers are that he's going up against. He finds a way to hit them too. And this year, he didn't have that same kind of success. The underlying numbers suggested he was one of the more unlucky hitters in all of Major League Baseball. Eventually, that bat-to-ball skill that he has, it is going to put together a season where he hits 270, 285, maybe ends the season with 15 homers, and we're looking at it, and we're like, whoa, a really nice year by Alec Burleson 
But I think for a lot of the audience right now, they hear us talking about Alec Burleson and they say to themselves, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see Alec Burleson back next year because that means that we can't go out and get somebody else that is better for that spot in the lineup. And I think it has almost become this all or nothing mentality with him where it's you either think he's going to be a star and he should start every day or you think he should be out of here. I think the three of us probably fall somewhere in between. I think Alec Burleson is a perfectly capable backup first baseman and fourth outfielder. He can play occasionally as your DH, as a left-handed bat that you put into the lineup against especially guys that have some really good heaters uh, coming from the right side. That's it. That's his role. And that is a guy that is like the 23rd member of your team. He's a good locker room dude. Everybody seems to love him. Like, there is nothing wrong with having that guy as a part of your roster, especially when he's young, cost-controlled, and has the ability to continue improving. So I I do think it was an encouraging rookie year. If you look at his whiff rate, 90th percentile in Major League Baseball, strikeout rate, 95th percentile in Major League Baseball, I'll build around that, and hopefully next year the rest of it starts to come around a little more. Here would be my question to the Cardinals fans that look at that as a disappointing season and want something better. What? Because in the role that he's going to be designated to, which is a fourth outfielder who can play if need be in the outfield, but maybe you're going to get more at-bats at the DH, go look at the free agent class and tell me what's out there that's better than Alec Burleson. There's not. In terms of upside, there's not. Now, I I will stand by what I've said all along. I'll trade Alec Burleson if the right trade makes sense for my team to win next year. But if not, if the trade doesn't benefit me then there's no better option than what Alec Burleson can provide in terms of depth to your team. And let's be real, with the injuries that come in the outfield of what they had with Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, Lars Nupar had him this year, injuries are going to happen. I want that bat available to me than going out there and signing a Michael Conforto and hoping that he can take over a third outfield role. Yeah, some of the best left-handed bats that are expected to be available this offseason. Cody Bellinger, that's going to be out of their price range. Um, Michael Conforto, Max Kepler, Joey Gallo, Eddie Rosario, maybe depending on what happens with his club option. David Peralta. It's the same names that we throw around every offseason, guys. It is. NHL head coaches. They just recycle. We've talked about this because the Cardinals have X amount of dollars to spend this offseason. It's not an unlimited budget. Steve Cohen's not writing the checks. Are you going to put more assets into that one spot? That A fourth outfield role? A fourth (laughs) outfielder that you're going to sign to a five, ten million dollar deal that really has no potential upside, which Burleson does. Now, you can agree or disagree on how what that upside is. It's still there for Alec Burleson. So are you really going to – I don't want to say waste. Waste is a strong word. But are you going to put 5 to $10 million of your resources into that spot when you could add a bullpen arm for that or go out and get a fourth starter for that? It just doesn't make sense for this team. So you go, to, you stick with Alec Burleson, and I think he's a guy that – I think you're right. You get a little bit better luck. He makes some small improvements in the offseason. I think he's a capable, like, number – I mean, them hitting him second was a little bit egregious at the start of the year, hitting him third. I – He's like a seventh seventh hole hitter for you. They were doing that though because Gorman was hurt. Like that that's the big thing is he he was put into the spot that Gorman used to be. They like the left right left right. You can agree with that or not. I, I'm with you, T Bone. I I wouldn't do that, but um, I I understand what they're trying to get from him. And next year, I would just bring him back. I said this yesterday on Twitter. I would just bring back the position players that you have right now, and then I would spend the money on all of the pitching that we've been talking so much about. I like your position player core. I do. I'm, I'm not being a homer, I, I don't think, right now. No, you are. You're too soft. I would go into next year with Contreras, Kisner, Goldie, Gorman, Wynn, Arenado, Edmund, Walker, Palacios, Newt, Donovan, and Carlson in the outfield, and then Do- uh, Burleson as your like 
infielder, first baseman, outfielder, or whatever, DH uh, type. You forgot Taylor Motter. I didn't. Um, that would be my roster. I, I wouldn't pay anybody to come in here. I wouldn't trade from that core group of players that I just mentioned. Tyler O'Neill's out of here. That would be a 26-man roster guy that I would have off of the roster compared to this season. But otherwise, I'm pretty good with your core group of position players. I'm spending that money, I'm spending those resources to go out and acquire the pitching that this team craves. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters with Alex and T-Bone. I'm BK. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We'll be out here the rest of the week as the Blues are preparing for the 2023 NHL season, and they are doing so with training camp beginning tomorrow here at Centene. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. It's Alex's favorite time uh, of the so year. I'm so happy. Let's start out with some Vegas movement, boys. Oh, yeah? Tua Tungavailoa is officially the favorite in Vegas now to be the 2023 NFL MVP. Yeah. My question on this, A, do you agree that he should be the favorite right now? And B, if not, who would you have as your current favorite to win the NFL MVP? Uh, he would be my favorite. I, Frankly, I don't know how you could go anywhere else. I mean, I guess if you want to – can defensive player maybe get win MVP? I mean, I can. I mean, I think he could make a case for Micah Parsons. The dude is – the best player on that Dallas Cowboys team, but it's got to be Tua, and I don't know how you can deny that right now when the you're last talking about that offense. Defensive player to win MVP was Lawrence Taylor back in 1986. Okay, do you know a kicker once won MVP? That's what? embarrassing. Yeah, that league must have been a bad year. 1982 Who was kicker that? won MVP. That it guy better been a quarterback. Mark Mosley. That guy better been a quarterback too. No, I'm just a kicker. Oh, okay, good. I guess that team won by uh They can be difference field. makers. This is why I push back on BK, eliminating hey, them from our fantasy league. ask Grant Francis. Yeah. He knows that they could be difference makers. It can also be the difference of his attitude that entire weekend. So, um, But, yeah, it's got to be Tua, but I, I don't know who else you would make the case for to be right there with him. It was a strike-shortened season, so that played a little bit of a factor in it. What, they played one game and that was the game-winning field goal? They played nine. <laughs> Uh, but I, I agree. I think Tua's got to be the odds-on favorite right now, and I, I don't think it's necessarily that close. I I have not been impressed with Mahomes through the first two weeks. Hurts has not been impressed through the first two weeks. Now, look, I understand that those guys are going to play better, but when you look at it from a number standpoint, if Tua stays healthy, he's probably going to put up better numbers than the two of them. With the weapons that he has, he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. 
I'm all aboard the Tua train, and I'm all aboard the Dolphins train. So I, I think it makes sense that he's the odds-on favorite, and I don't mind if you decided to take him on those odds. He's absolutely better than the two of them. I knew you had something because you had a smirk on your face when I started. Come on, man. Hey, hi, don't leave me hanging. No, you're not getting it. Man, I've had multiple of them Just today. the two of us. Just the two of us. We can... Name the oh, singer. okay. Yeah, you almost <laughs> got the lyrics. All right. I, I, I didn't I think that. you had that in your bag. All right, T-Bone. Big Willie style. Uh, the set, By the way, if you're looking for other odds uh, for players to win MVP right now, and we're doing this, I know it's we're two weeks into the season, but just it's the first some of week you guys, of the season. <laughs> some of you guys like placing bets early in the season, including myself. Frankly, I, I like placing bets and kind of playing the futures market. Patrick Mahomes is at six to one, and then you've got Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts still at ten to one. Trevor Lawrence and Joe Burrow and Lamar at twelve What's to Micah? one. Micah, Micah Parsons. I'm rolling. I'm sixty to one right oh now. Oh my god! How great would that be? I would go Tyreek. If you want to place a bet on somebody to win the MVP that is not a quarterback right now, I would go Tyreek at fifty to one odds. I think the only- I don't think he's winning it. Yeah, but if this dude ends up going out there and having like a twenty five hundred receiving yard season, which feels absurd, but it, I guess if anybody's going to do it, it would be Tyreek Hill. 50-1 to one odds feels like you're getting a little bit of value there. So I, I would go Tyreek. The only way Tyreek wins it is if Tua gets an injury and the backup quarterback comes in and Tyreek's still putting up the numbers that he's doing with Tua. Can Tyreek win it, though, if he has the best wide receiver season that we've ever seen in the history of the NFL? But if he's got that, then Tua's numbers are going to be up there I, as well. I'd say no because, like, I'm trying to think, what was it, two years ago? Cooper Cup was <laughs> close to breaking well, – <laughs> Did don't, you turn your mic no, on no. to sneeze? <laughs> Never sneeze holding down a cough button because when they're an yeah, aggressive sneeze, <laughs> it bounces off of it. That's what you heard at the end there. Or I was just really, wow, that hurt. Oh, uh, gosh, you got those incredible. people in those lives that like sneeze aggressively. That's My me. dad's that way. Like He's like, ma-choo! Yeah, that's me. Yeah, that just hurt. Um, but to, to the point on Tyreek, I don't know if it would happen because of, like, Cooper Cup. I think he finished, like, 13 yards short of just a single-season record, and I don't think people gave him enough credit for it because they talk about the quarterback. So I I kind of agree with Alex. The other guy that I would kind of point to, too, is if you're putting a non-position player, and I'm actually surprised he's got worse odds than Micah Parsons, Christian McCaffrey, 75-1. to He's been really good. 268 rushing yards. Hasn't gotten into the receiving game as much as I was expecting early on. I think that's going to change just six receptions through two games, but He's playing really well and looking healthy again, which is a big part for him. He would be a guy that if I'm looking non-quarterback-wise, I could see a running back that could do it if McCaffrey just ends up going just beast mode the full season. All right, let's go through some other things through NFL quick hitters. Teams that start 0-3, we mentioned this yesterday, have a 1-50 chance, historically speaking, of making it to the NFL playoffs. The Patriots, the Bengals, Chargers, Vikings, they all thought they would be contenders. All of them are currently 0-2. This upcoming weekend, the Patriots play the Jets. The Bengals play the Rams. The Chargers and Vikings, both of whom are 0-2 currently, play against each other, which is sure to be the most absurd football game you've ever consumed. (laughs) Guys, which of those teams that is currently 0-2 do you feel the best about right now, that they will be able to get this thing back on track eventually? Go ahead, T-Bone, you start. I'd say Chargers. I I know Brandon Staley's a bad head coach, but when you've got Justin Herbert, arguably a top-five quarterback in the NFL – and you've got the weapons around him, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Uh, they added 
uh, who's the other wide receiver I'm forgetting off the top of my head? Yeah, he, he's barely playing, Johnson, um, Quentin Johnson. Yeah, that was my guy. But I, I And they still got some decent defensive pass rushers. I'm going to say it's the Chargers. I, I think they can beat the Vikings. The Vikings defense I don't think is good enough. They've got the offensive weapons. I'm very concerned about the Bengals and the calf injury to Joe Burrow and what that means for them. And then the Patriots, they're just a bad football team. Uh, mine's actually the Broncos. Did you even mention the Broncos? You, you feel the best about the Broncos? I, I do because I think they – didn't have Judy at I the beginning. I didn't mention them because I didn't think any of us would pick them. Beyond. <laughs> I mean, look, it's I, interesting. I, I don't think Russell Wilson's looked great, but he looks damn better than what he did last year. And I think they have the weapons. And frankly, I'm I'm not sold on the Chargers. Don't think the Chargers can fix this. I think they've got internal issues. Uh, and I don't buy into the Vegas team, which to me leaves the Broncos as the other team in that division. So I, they'd be the one I'd feel better about. I didn't think that you were going to pick the Broncos because the Broncos lost to the Raiders. I, I, I don't buy any stock into that, though. That's fair. They got Judy back this past week. I'd say give it a couple of weeks, and I think that's going to be a really good offense. I still feel the best about the Bengals because even if they do have a couple of weeks here where things go kind of weird, they've got Joe Burrow, man. And that defense, I think, is going to be fine. I have too many questions about the Chargers and the Vikings defenses. I just don't think they can get stops. If you're playing Daily Fantasy this week, play that game. Yeah, That's the one to target because those two teams could end up scoring 40 points apiece. They can't stop anybody. So I I think I'm still most optimistic outlook-wise for the Bengals. Final thing here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Guys, there was a lot of discourse during the offseason. Potentially some of it started by myself about running backs going in the first round and whether or not that was the correct use of your assets. One of the teams that decided to go that route was the Atlanta Falcons. They are now 2-0 on the season, and B. John Robinson has been amazing. Through two games, he has 180 yards on the ground. He's averaging more than six yards per carry. Now, this is the most run-heavy team in the NFL right now. Tyler Algier also has 120 yards on the ground. Guys, when you watch B. John Robinson... Do you think that the Falcons were justified in selecting him in the top 10? I think so, because I don't really know what else was there for them in the top 10, because the quarterbacks that we all projected, they were gone. They needed a quarterback. Um, They have the playmakers on defense, and you've got Drake London and Kyle Pitts, so you've got the playmakers, and if there's no quarterback available, what's the next thing you need? Christian it, Gonzalez would have been a corner from the – that ended up going to the Patriots that I thought was I, a, a really good I personally feel like the Falcons got a good defense already. It's and, solid. And, and I think that if you don't have the other superstar playmaker – Carter was there. He's that the defensive lineman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I, I would have much rather gone a – potential high superstar ceiling of a Bijan Robinson than taking a defensive player on a team that's already great defensively. Again, if there was no quarterback available, that was the next best move for them. Yeah, I, I don't mind the move, especially from what we've seen the first two weeks from Bijan Robinson. I think you said this at the time of the draft, BK, where if you're going to take a running back this high, he has to be just great. He has to be what McCaffrey was early on in his career. He has to be like a Nick Chubb. And I think early on you're seeing that he can be that guy. If we're talking about a guy that was almost looking like Alexander Madison running the football, Ooh. be a terrible, terrible draft. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, for example. Yeah. yeah that like, was fun for one year. I, I think if if you truly believe that that guy can be a top two, top three running back and it's just purely dominant, I don't mind you taking that. You have any inkling of that being a question mark, you cannot take him and in the see, first See, the problem round. with the Falcons is you're going to wait too long to get your quarterback because you're going to buy into Desmond Ritter, and you're not going to be able to capitalize on this this young, talented team. Yeah, that, that's the next thing they need to do. Desmond Ritter is the definition of below average. I, 
I think the other part of what you said there, T-Bone, because I agree with you, you also have to have a role for him immediately that expands on what he can be as a player. Like, Jameer Gibbs is barely getting the football with the Detroit Lions. I think Jameer Gibbs looks awesome every time he touches the yeah. ball, yep. but he barely gets it. So why'd you waste a top 15 pick on that player if you don't have a way to utilize him? Now, David Montgomery's hurt. Maybe this weekend we see that change a little bit and the depth ends up being important for them. But Bijan Robinson has a massive role for the Atlanta Falcons. Their entire identity is tied up into the fact that they have Bijan and they have Tyler Algier and that is their running game. This was worth it, in my opinion. And I am the last guy that would typically tell you that you should be taking a top 10 running back. But Bijan Robinson is that special. I've seen comparisons to Ladanian Tomlinson, and that doesn't seem crazy to me. He is that kind of special of a talent. The tough part comes four or five years from now when he needs to get a contract. And then because he has been so great for you, because your identity has been wrapped up into him for the last four or five years, then you have to decide, are we going to pay a running back $20 million a year in 2032 because of what he did for us in 2025? That is where things get really difficult. But if you're just talking about for the next four years, was this worth it for the Falcons? It sure seems so based on the early returns. Coming up next, Robert Thomas is working with a Hall of Famer, former Blues player, that we sure seem to like around here in St. Louis. Alex, what do you make of this? What does it mean for the Blues in 2023? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So Robert Thomas is uh, seeking out some help from a fellow Hall of Famer. Robert Thomas might be joining him if these uh, changes start to be implemented into his game. Alongside Alex Ferrario Just needs his and home. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Elliot Friedman wrote about the following in 32 Thoughts earlier today, Alex. Robert Thomas is the newest Adam Oates apprentice. Braden Shin and Matthew Kachuk both told Elliot Friedman that they are convinced that the new sensei as the St. Louis Blues forward worked to improve his shot. Quote, I feel like that'll open up more passing lanes for me, said Robert Thomas. I feel like guys are starting to pick up that I'm always looking to pass, and if I'm able to add the shot to my game, the passing's going to be that much easier. A lot of the things that Adam Oates has taught me are so simple. They're so small, I never even would think of them, honestly. Whether it's just stick positioning, your forehand, your backhand grip, there's so many things that you just do naturally, but you don't know why you do them. He'll show you 10 clips from a game and ask you, why did you do this? I thought there was a whole other way to think the game. Thomas, according to Elliot Friedman, has watched video of Connor McDavid to mimic the quickness that McDavid has on his shot to see how McDavid beats the goalie before the goalie is ever ready. And uh, apparently, according to this, Adam Oates did not try to change Thomas's stick, but he, quote, hates the curve. How do you hate the curve? Ryan O'Reilly had the curve. Alex, Brandon. I found this to be really interesting because we have talked ad nauseum over the last three, four, five years about Robert Thomas and his unwillingness, not inability because he's got a good shot, but his unwillingness to shoot. If he actually changes it this time around, what does that do for his game and for this Blues team? It's a difference maker. You know, we talked about the tiers that the Athletic put out there and like the tier for Robert Thomas was top line player. Mm -hmm. We're talking all-star 
potential ability to get to star level for Robert Thomas if he shoots the puck. And Joey has talked about this on the broadcast. Craig Berube has cited this throughout the season that if we could just get Robert to change things up and shoot the puck because teams know what he's going to do. Last season, it was very clear. He's going to skate in. He's going to circle at the top of the faceoff dot. He's going to look for his options, and if he doesn't have the option, he's going to dump it behind the net. It was red. But when we've seen Robert Thomas at his best, the year that he scored 20 goals two years ago, was when Robert Thomas would skate into the zone and look off the player, the defender, for a pass and then take the shot. He's got a scary good release. And the fact that he's working with Adam Oates, who Craig Berube has cited as the individual that was so good at everybody expecting the dude who has 100-plus assists in a season to pass the puck would shoot and score 30-plus goals in a season. That's why he got to the Hall of Fame level. Here's the thing, too. If you look at the list of players that have trained with Adam Oates, I'm just going to give you a couple of these right now. Jonathan Taves, the Kachuk brothers, you've got Steven Stamkos, Tyler Sagan, Braden Shem, Pavel Buchnevich, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov. Pretty good. Guys go to the best so that they can be the best. And this is probably the best news I could have heard about Robert Thomas is that he's seeking out this help. Because now you're getting a haul. It's one thing when your coach tells you. It's one thing when us idiots on the radio are saying it. It's another when Adam Oates, a Hall of Famer, looks at you and says, shoot the puck more. If you shoot the puck more, teams aren't going to know how to handle you, which is why McKinnon has been such an elite player in his career because you don't know what to expect with him. This is the ability for Robert Thomas to reach that 85-plus threshold points. I think you're spot on when you said, you know, when we saw that list come out from the Athletic where he's all, where he's a top-line player to become become that all-star, take that next step, it's going to be by shooting the puck more. Because he does, you're right, he has a dangerous shot. I think he's got 25-goal potential in him with that shot. He's got a great release, and he can put it where he needs to. And he's going to always have the passing ability. That's not going to go away. That's not something that I expect to disappear because he's shooting the puck more. I just, I just don't see that occurring. And if he can do that, you know, when it, when it comes to talking to him as being like that number one centerman, what are you looking for? You're looking for becoming a shutdown centerman so you can have a guy that you can put out there on the ice to shut down a top line. And then you're also looking for a guy that's going to put up points. And that's how you get to that kind of, I don't want to say superstar level, but that's how you get to that stardom kind of level is if you're able to add goal scoring to Robert Thomas' building. I think you're right. I think if he's going to reach that 85-point threshold, he's going to have to shoot the puck more. And I think he can be a 25 maybe 30 goal score i've got a comparison for you alex recently more more recent than adam oates um i want to i'm curious your thoughts on this they play different positions one's a winger one is a center but i I think in terms of the production it could be what we're kind of hoping for here in st louis what do you think of artemi panarin as a potential comparison production wise for what robert thomas could be panarin is a guy that is a consistent 90 point producer he, for the majority of his career, has been like a 25 to 30 goal type of a guy. I don't know if Thomas is going to be consistently in that 30 range. That that feels a little high, although I, I think we underestimate how many goals he's had over the last two years. He's had 38 over the last two years combined, so maybe 30 isn't crazy uh, to suggest in any one like career year type of year goal-wise. Does that feel about right to you in terms of the numbers, the the production that you're looking at there? Yeah, I think so, because I think Artemi Panarin was viewed as that guy. They called him the 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 bread maker on the ice because he was making all of the pass with his cohort Patrick Kane and they were creating some dynamic plays and then when Artemi Panarin kind of struck that opportunity to become a goal scorer with the New York Rangers we've seen what he's a- able to do T 
teams just get a read on you. And the other one that came to mind, and I just looked up these numbers, I mean, they're they're kind of spot on to where they were. uh, But Nathan McKinnon's another one. If you look at Nathan McKinnon in his first four years with the Colorado Avalanche, he didn't pass 20 goals but once. He had more assists than points. He had 900 shots in like uh, three or 400 games. So he shot the puck a lot. But he wasn't scoring goals. And then the next season, he goes off and scores 39 goals. And then the next year, it's 41, 35. He had 1,800 shots in 500 games the next five seasons. So you become that dual threat in the offensive zone, and you become a 30-goal scorer when teams don't know what to expect. So Panarin's another one. Jack Hughes was another guy that came up. Jack Hughes just scored 40 goals for New Jersey this year. Why? Because he's created that weapon to do I look them off or do I take the shot? And if you're playing on a line with Jordan Cairo and or Pavel Buchnevich, defensemen don't know how to handle that. And I think now is the perfect time for Robert Thomas to capitalize on this because teams are expecting last year's Robert Thomas. Teams are expecting the go into the zone, circle, look for the guy and make the play. Whereas now off of the rush, if Robert Thomas can get that shot off as quick and smooth as he does, man, we're talking about a dude who could touch 30 goals. And the one thing that I do hope that we don't see is second-guessing himself. Yes. Because it, it, before, he knew exactly who he was. Mm-hmm. He knew who he was as a player, and for all the faults, all the frustration that we had about it, he was excellent at it. He was an amazing uh, distributor of the puck. What you don't want to have happen is now he's thinking through things as he's on the rush, and he's wondering, is this the spot where I shoot it, or do I wait? And now he's late on both. And instead of being excellent at one and just merely okay at the other, now he becomes just okay at both things, mm-hmm. and now you've actually made yourself into a worse player. So you can't have that happen. Keep playing freely. Keep playing the same way that you were previously and allow those shots to come naturally for you. The other thing that he's going to have to focus on so that he doesn't get in his own head is hitting the net with your shots. Because as soon as you're the centerman and you rush in and you take a shot and it misses the net and it rims around, now you're not on your duty in terms of back-checking and you're going to get beat two-on-ones and then you start second-guessing, well, I can't do that anymore because I made a mistake. See, I'm glad you brought that up because I know we talked about this, what, a week, two weeks ago about maybe the Blues becoming more of a cycle team. That, that that can't be the kind of the idea for that top line, though, with Thomas and Cairo, because if it is, then maybe Thomas does become what you said, where he becomes a little bit conservative instead of, oh, I need to get in, we got to possess the puck. That's where I'm going to get in. I'm going to be the playmaker. I'm going to be the one that works hard b- behind the net. No, come in. You're, that line needs to just be designated. This is our one rush line. All the others are going to play that cycle game. This is our rush line. That way, when D- Thomas does come in, there is no kind of, oh, okay, we Coach wants me to have the puck. we got to hold on to the puck. No, get in, let it fly. But to your point, don't become hesitant if you do miss the net. That's Tanner Hendrickson. He is Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. Let's dive into the junk drawer. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? So last night, the Toronto Blue Jays were taking on the New York Yankees, and my one of my favorite pitchers, Kikuchi, was pitching. Yes. And he went five strong innings, but then he had to leave leave the game. Injury. He was dealing with cramps. Yep. Okay? So, you know, reporters talk to the starters after the game, just how it works in baseball. And Kikuchi told them, he said, 
quote, I think it may, my cramps may have been caused by only getting 11 hours of sleep last night instead of my usual 13 to 14. Typically goes to bed around 11 and wakes up at 1 p.m. What? How does the song go? There goes my hero. Unbelievable. What do you try to get? Like on a on an average night, what are you hoping to get sleep? Like Tanner, two week, work week, like during the work week, five hours. That's about where I'm at. Yeah, I try to go because I go to bed about two ish, and then I get up about seven ish. So about five. Now I'll do more on the weekend. I'll try to get like eight or nine on the weekend, but it's like five for me during. I'd love to get thirteen like uh, Kikuchi, but eight, eight's my goal. What do you, what do you is that about what you end it's up getting? somewhere between six and eight just depends on if Katie get Katie and I get into like an actual binge worthy mode of watching like our peak blacklist days it was like maybe go to bed at one o'clock in the morning because I'm watching all of them but it's typically from six to eight so with Luca uh, my sleep schedule has been changed up a bit and my work schedule honestly has been switched up around him mostly yeah I don't get the notes anymore before the show you know it's weird it, you do um, <laughs> but literally nothing on your end has changed whatsoever uh, yeah. still um, the same guy over there <laughs> it must not come to my email so we I typically get to sleep like one thirty two o'clock ish and I'm waking up around seven with him so I'm at about five a night. I would love to have his sleep schedule, though. That sounds amazing. Oh, see, I don't think that sounds good at all. Are really? You kidding me? I, think I could wake up at sleep. one p.m. So thirteen is aggressive. But like, if I could do twice a week where I would get eleven, that sounds pretty great. I could do that, dude. Eight, eight every night, and then like a couple of days a week where you're like, I'm really sleeping this. If assuming that I have like no obligations, the guy's a baseball player; he doesn't have to do much outside of that. That that would be a prerequisite. Yeah, there, here's but. the problem: you'll never get there again. Like, because like an opportunity once you get into this this world of waking up five or six hours because you're waking up with the kids. I mean, I've had opportunities where Katie's been like, just sleep a little extra. I'm still waking up at six seven a.m. because my the mental part of my brain, it's just like, get up. You're supposed to be up by now. And I can't oh, do it so anymore. You don't, you don't have to set an alarm like on the weekend. See, no. I have to set an alarm. Like Otherwise, I set an alarm I, today because we were up early. I, I need to set an alarm. So I will set an alarm for like that shouldn't 10, be 11 o'clock on weekends. And I'll get up at that time. Because otherwise, I'm just going to continue to sleep. Really? And I'm going to sleep. My head won't go off. During the week, it's weird because during the weekdays, I guess my brain is so like, hey, you know, you're going to lose your job if you don't show up on time. <laughs> um, doesn't have that problem on weekends. But, like, I will wake up at, like, sometimes even earlier than 7. Hey, yeah. yeah, that yoga teacher took you uh, took you to par that night. You weren't here at that point, were you? No, no I don't know that <laughs> Cops story. were called because BK I doesn't show up. I'm not even up. sure if I was in the No, building. you weren't. That was my first year. Were part was my, of 101. Yeah. It was either my first or second year here because you had gotten here a little after the second time around for you. But, yeah, it was it was quickly. It was early 2020. It was, it was like one of your first back. two weeks back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've never – I don't know if I've – I've only had, I think, one, like, super close call. And that was one time when I was producing the Danny Mac show. I got stuck in – I woke up late, and then I got stuck in traffic. I was living with the grandparents at the time. But otherwise, I'm typically Uh-oh. not like – I got here at 11.50. Yeah, I've never done that. So you had to do quality control check because we were where BK was – I guess it was 10.50 because we were doing yeah. the 10 o'clock. I, I, at KMOX, I had this happen multiple times in terms of – because Sunday mornings I would produce, and then I would – produce the sports show and then I would go cover the Rams game so it were long days but I was up I mean I had to be at the station by like 4 a.m. there were two occasions that I woke up like 30 minutes before I was supposed to be there and I mean you talk about panic I think one of the times I left in my gym shorts and t-shirt and went and then another one was I went to Six Flags for Fright Fest one night on a Saturday and we were out late and so I said I'll just go to the station and sleep I was sleeping at the station on the couch 
and I had to have the host wake me up because I was in such a deep sleep. Good, good, good. So I, uh, I basically told myself, like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Now I go to bed at 8 o'clock every night. Somebody on the text line said, guys, it takes an average of seven years after having a kid to get back to your original sleep schedule. Does that sound about right, Alex? Say that again. Never mind. Coming up next, <laughs> how does this injury play into Shohei Otani's market this offseason? We'll here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So there was a bit of news earlier today on Shohei Otani. He has had successful surgery uh, on his elbow. Now, a bit of clarification. This is apparently not Tommy John. That being said, he is still expected to miss the entirety of the 2024 season from a pitching perspective. He is expecting to play fully, though, starting in spring training as a hitter going into next year. Alex, how do you think this is going to impact, if at all, his free agency market? Do you think it changes what he's looking for? Do you think it changes what other teams are willing to offer? How does Shohei Otani, one year during this contract as a pure hitter and then afterwards becoming a pitcher once again, how does that influence what the market's going to be in your mind? Uh, maybe I'm in, in the minority here, but I don't think it impacts it at all. I think there's going to be a team that wants Shohei Otani that says, now's our time to pounce because maybe other teams cower away. And if I'm Shohei's side I'm not going to take any money off because I'm not pitching one year you're going to pay for the guy that you're going to get in the future and if you sign me to a five six year contract four or five out of those years are going to be a ace pitcher like he has been and now you're still getting one of the best bats in the game for one year so I don't think this changes anything I mean it's the same teams that are going to be in play I think Seattle's going to be at the top of that list and I think if you're a team like Seattle you're thinking other teams might shy away from this, but I know I could get this done because I'm going to keep the same offer in place. Yeah, I think the only thing that this is really going to impact is that year one of that contract, and they're going to have to figure that out, and maybe year two, because they may say, okay, we, we'll guarantee kind of that third year is that $60 million year kind of is that threshold, $30 million as a hitter, $30 million as a pitcher, because we think that's the year that you can truly be back to yourself is – 2000, what would that be, 26? Yep. 2025 may not be a starter completely, just depending on how the rehab process goes. You know he's not pitching in 24, so you're not going to pay him $60 million in those first two years because he's no hitter is worth $60 million. And that's where I think it's going to get inter- interesting. But I don't think this is going to be like, oh, he's going to have to take a one-year deal now or a two-year deal. I don't think that's the case. I think, to your point, I think somebody is going to overpay him, if there's such a term for that for Shohei Otani. I think somebody's going to overpay him because they're going to do what exactly what you said. Everybody else is going to be a little conservative. I think the Dodgers are a team that's going to fall victim to that. Is, ooh, you know, we like the flexibility of the DH being open, and if Otani's not pitching, he's not the same guy for us. And Andrew Friedman's been kind of conservative in the past to where someone like Seattle could swoop and say, bleep it, it's Shohei Otani. Let's go get Shohei Otani and pay him that contract. I think the only thing it affects is the first two years of that contract. Somebody on the text line makes an excellent point from the 573. Guys, it feels to me like Seattle is the perfect fit because they have so many arms that can get through next year, and then after that, Shohei Otani joins that rotation. Totally agree. Seattle makes so much sense for this, and I do also agree with you, T-Bone, that other teams, especially the analytically driven ones, for better or worse, I think in worse in this situation, will convince themselves, you know what, it doesn't make sense for us. Because of the long-term deal, it's probably going to have to be seven or eight years. Because of the money that you're going to have to push out there, $50 million plus per year, 
and because of what he does in terms of clocking up that DH and forcing you probably to have a six-man rotation, it, it changes some things with the way that you have to construct your roster. And there's going to be teams that just say, it's not worth it for us. It's not worth it for us to go all in on one player. And therefore, I do think that there will be some teams that end up getting out of the market because of that. I think Seattle is exactly the type of team that can go all in on this, though. Yeah, and they make sense, too, because when you think about Seattle, they, now they've got Robbie Ray recovering from... I think Tommy John's what he had. Castillo, all those young arms that we've talked about, Wu, Gilbert. And if you're Seattle and the recovery does go well in, say it's 2025 he's able to pitch in, then you can use your resources of those starting pitchers that you have and trade them to help your offense as well. And you can just see kind of the snowball effect that that could have of, okay, we don't really need him this year. We've got the arms that we have. But in next the next year, if he can get back and we truly believe, hey, we've got an ace, somebody's getting knocked out of the rotation. And what are you going to do with an arm like a Brian Wu who could potentially have some trade value? You're going to trade from that surplus. You know the thing the Cardinals should have done with the outfield probably a year ago. So Seattle is the team that's probably in a best-case scenario. I could see a team like San Francisco overpaying for this. I, they don't have, like, the arms that are necessarily there to cover Otani missing time. But they're a team that you want to talk about desperate. They were heavily in on Aaron Judge this past offseason, Carlos Correa before that deal fell through. Why? Because they are looking for star power in San Francisco. And I'm assuming Otani's going to either stay on the West or go to the East Coast. I don't think he's staying in. No, I'm not sure there's a team in the Central yeah, that would pay, be willing to pay the contract that he's going to get. Maybe Chicago. That's the one that people have brought up. Maybe. But I think he's going to want to stay on the West or East Coast. And I think those are the teams that you're kind of looking at. And it's just going to come down to who is the team that's going to give him kind of the godfather offer. I still think, too, that this is going to benefit other teams that are in the market for starting pitching because – you're going to take one team that might be in that same market as you. They're going to focus on Shohei Otani. That's going to be their golden goose, and then everybody else can kind of look towards what they need to. So as you expand the market, because now we know officially at least that Shohei Otani will not be a part of the pitching market for next season. This upcoming uh, season, he's not going to be a pitcher, so he's only going to be signing right now as a hitter. What does that mean for the starting pitching market in 2023? We know the Cardinals are going to be heavily invested in this specific market. And guys, as you look towards this free agent class, it's not particularly deep and it's getting worse as the season goes along. There are a lot of guys that are actually making their value go down with the way that they've performed in the second half of the season. Remember Michael Lorenzen, the guy that had that no hitter that was super yeah, fun? He's got to be doing great. In eight starts with the Philadelphia Phillies, he has a six ERA. On the season, his ERA is now up to 4.3, which is basically the exact same as he was last year. He's the same guy. Hmm. His stock, I think, has gone down relative to what we thought it was midway through the season. Jack Flaherty, did you guys see the news story? He has been relegated to the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. He's not even a starting pitcher in Baltimore any longer. I can't imagine... His stock is particularly high. He's got a 4.9 ERA on the season. I think he might have to settle for a one-year prove-it deal with somebody going Dude, into next year. Dude, he has not given them innings. Four it's and two-thirds, three and a third, four innings, and then obviously just out of the bullpen. Yeah, it's been terrible. Uh, Lucas Giolito, same thing. He's got a 4.6 ERA on the season, but he's been bad over the last uh, month and a half or so. 4.6 ERA. I think his stock is down this year compared to what we thought. I think Aaron Nola's stock is down. I don't think that means that he's going to get no money. I don't think that means he has to take a prove-it deal, anything like that. But he's got a 4-6 ERA on the season. Over his last like eight or nine starts, you're not even seeing the innings that he was giving to uh, to the Phillies earlier in the season either. 
I, I think he's still going to get a boatload of money, maybe 25 mil a year. I do not think he's in line right now for a 30 plus million dollar per year basis. He just had a good start against the Braves today. Six innings, six hits, two earned runs, eight strikeouts. There you go. That's a, that's a really nice bounce back for him. He needed that. And then the two other guys that I would throw into this mix are previously injured guys. Andrew Heaney's been fine, 4-4 ERA on the season for the Texas Rangers, but he's had a worse second half than he did in the first half. And then your guy James Paxton, T-Bone, you were mentioning this the other day. He's back on the injured list, right? What else is new? 19 starts this year, was fine, had a 4-5 ERA in them, but wasn't overwhelmingly great by any stretch of the imagination. Guys, as you look at this free agent class... Oh, buddy. The only guys, in it? Who the wants only, to go scuba diving? The only three that I think have legitimately improved their stock this season, Blake Snell, Sonny Gray, Jordan Montgomery. I think that's the end of the list. Eduardo Rodriguez has basically been as expected, but he hasn't even been given the Tigers a bunch of uh, innings this year. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when you look at the free agent market, most guys have either stayed the same or they've hurt their stock. And I, I think you're kind of right about Nola. I think he can change the narrative around the postseason. That'll be where he can kind of recoup his value is can he stay strong in the postseason? Maybe that was just one of those weird stretches for a starter. But if you're a number two in the postseason, teams can look at you as a potential number one in the postseason as well. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think Montgomery's a guy that I'm fascinated to know what his market looks like. We've talked about this in the past. He's viewed across baseball as a number four. All his numbers would tell you he's like a number two or, worst-case scenario, a number three. He's been the one guy at the trade deadline that's been moved that you look at and go – Damn, the Rangers got a really good acquisition. Everybody else, Flaherty in the bullpen, as you talked about. Lorenzen in the bullpen, as you talked about. So I I think when you look at this free agent class, it's going to be really tough to kind of look at it and go, man, we got to go out there and get three starters. But again, as we continue to say, it's the bed that you laid. You got to lay in it. You're going to have to. You're going to have to use your evaluation to make the right decisions, and that's what it's going to come down to in free agency. And this is why I keep saying Imanaga, the guy that's coming over from Japan, Yamamoto, another one that's coming over from Japan. Both of those pitchers make a ton of sense for the Cardinals because of what's happening in the states with these guys. Yes, there's risk. There's absolutely risk involved with going over and signing a guy that you've never seen against major league caliber hitters. But there's also risk in going up and signing a guy that you've seen go up against major league hitters and this season was either hurt, ineffective, or a combination of the two. And that's what the vast majority of this class is. By the way, for everybody that poo-poos the idea of signing Sonny Gray this offseason, the only pitcher in this market that has a better ERA this season than Sonny Gray that is hitting the free agent market is Blake Snell. That's it. He's the second best dude, at least in terms of the overall production from this season, taking nothing else into account uh, that is going to be in this year's free agent market. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us two scenarios, we'll tell you which one's more likely here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. is the Air Comfort Service text line for more likely to happen. You give us two scenarios. We'll tell you which one's more likely. Guys, we have not hit on this uh, so far today. We should do so. Big match coming up tonight for St. Louis City SC. They are taking on LAFC in a game that very well could determine uh, what the Western Conference is going to look like. City's going to be in first place in the West no matter what, regardless of the result tonight. But it can get very tight 
in the Western Conference if they are not able to take this one down. T-Bone, the reason why I wanted to ask this and one of my more likely to uh, happen questions for you guys is this. More likely, St. Louis City SC plays their full roster tonight to be sure to beat the top or the top contender in the Western Conference or the Cardinals play Adam Wainwright as a starter in the final weekend of the season. Mm, spicy. More likely, Wayno starts in the final weekend or St. Louis City SC plays their legit A-grade lineup tonight. Oh, man, that is a good one. I will say more likely City plays their lineup, full lineup tonight because I think they know that they can, they wouldn't clinch by any means, but they can kind of put home, hey, we the playoffs, where do they go? They go through St. Louis. So I, I think because they played them earlier in the year, and I think they played them on a Wednesday. We were talking about this off air, and they didn't play their full lineup because typically when you got those Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday games, use that Wednesday game as kind of, okay, let's rest some of the older guys. Maybe they come off the bench. I don't think that'll be the case tonight against LA. It's almost treated like a back-to-back in the NBA or the NHL Yeah, sometimes. so I, I don't think they'll do that. I think they'll kind of try and push those guys tonight so they can potentially get three points and really secure themselves atop of that uh, Western Conference. So I'd say that's more likely. I think it's more likely with the Wayno. I, I think the team that just played on Saturday isn't going to be able to produce the full lineup that they typically would in this matchup. I think they're wanting to, but I think you're going to have to deal with certain guys that played on Saturday. So I'm going to say it's Wayno. I think they're going to treat this game tonight like it is a championship-style fight. I think this is a big one for City. Lutz knows that. Bradley Carnell knows that. The guys know that. And that may end up meaning that a guy like, I don't know, um, Leuven plays a little more than he otherwise would uh, in a Wednesday match. Or you end up going out there with Klaus playing a few more minutes than he typically would in a Wednesday match. Hell, he probably wouldn't see the field in most of these midweek types of matches uh, that the that City's playing. I think they're going to treat this, though, like it's a championship caliber match because that's basically what it is, man. You win this one and you more or less put LAFC behind you. There would be a nine-point edge for City. So I, I think they treat this one like it's a big one. T-Bone, what do you got for us today? More likely to happen. To make the wild card in the NFL because they're two two and O teams, the Tampa Bay Bucks or the Washington Commanders. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna say Washington here to make the playoffs over Tampa Bay. Those were the two options: Tampa Bay or Washington. No, I know, but oof. look, I don't think either is a great option. That's a yeah. tough. I feel like they're Tampa's two they're li- two two and O teams, so you got to kind of look like at them Tampa's and Tampa's kind of a little bit something. easier of a division, though. It it, it is, but. I think Washington's a better football team. And I also, just I think like the Baker. quarterbacks are very similar, honestly. Yeah. I don't think that you have a massive change between the two. And, and I think Washington's pass rush has really shown out well so far this year. I know Tampa defensively looked excellent last week. That was against Chicago where everything is imploding right <laughs> now. So I'll go Washington. I think it's pretty close, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I guess I would give the edge to Washington just because I, I trust Sam Howell a lot more than I trust Baker Mayfield. Um, and the other portion of that, too, is I don't know how long Mike Evans is going to be in Tampa. And once you trade Mike Evans, your team significantly takes a different perception to me than what Washington would in terms of having all of their guys there. So, yeah, I would probably lean Washington. But I think division-wise, Tampa's got the easier path. That's why I was going to go Tampa Bay. I, I think – and, look, I don't think they're winning the division. I'm not even sure they're a playoff team. But 
I, I think they have a easier path to get to the wild card because you look at their division. I don't think the Saints have been that impressive in the first two weeks. That car has not looked that great, in my opinion. I'm not sold on the Atlanta Falcons. Carolina stinks. And then you look at the East. Washington's going to have to play Philadelphia and Dallas twice, and that's going to be really tough. And honestly, I, I think Baker's looked better than Hal has in the first two weeks. So I, I'm, I'm not in on Baker Mayfield, for say, but I am liking what I'm seeing. And I think if they're going to back their way into the playoffs, which is probably, what, a nine-win team, yeah. I could see Tampa Bay being the team that can end up pulling that off. All right, guys, more likely to happen. The Blues produce nine 20 or more goal scorers this upcoming season or as a team allow top half of the league in goals allowed, meaning least amount of goals. So your top half stingiest defensive team, or you have nine 20 or more goal scores. Going 20 or more goal scores. I think eight are pretty easy to find. Not in terms of like they're definitely going to have eight 20 goal scores this upcoming season, but I think eight of them are are not hard to identify who they would be. Thomas, Booch, Shin, Kairou, Verona, Kapanen, Hayes. Who am I missing here? And then the Booch? one, uh, uh, Saad. Saad would be the other. I, that ninth one is where it gets a little difficult. I think the ninth guy would probably be Jake Neighbors. I think that's pretty optimistic for him. If you don't think it's Neighbors, you probably would go with a guy like Sammy Blay. Again, I think that is very optimistic for him. So it's hard for me to get to the ninth player, but I think that is more likely than them being top half in the league in goal suppression. I agree with you I because I just can't see them being top half in goal suppression because I, I've been saying this, I, I guess since really the offseason kind of died down. If they're going to be a playoff team, they're going to have to outscore their problems. And we talked about this. The defense showed kind of red flashing lights. They had like the check engine light on two years ago when they made the playoffs and almost beat Colorado. What happens when the offense decreases, as you saw last year, they can't outscore their problems. And defensively, you start to see those issues show up. I think if they're going to be a team that's going to make the playoffs, they I don't know if they need 920 goal scores for say, but they're going to have to outscore their problems. And I think that's that's where you can see that the 920 goal scores comes up. I actually am going to go goal suppression here. And huh. I think a lot of this is because of what you guys are saying in terms of offense. I think they're going to go to the cycle game, which presents more puck possession, less time in your own zone. I also look at this as a team that recognizes how bad they were defensively last year and becomes a little bit stingier. And on top of it, you've got forwards who I think are going to take a lot more of an aggressive take on the way they played compared to last year. And let's not overlook the fact you do have two goaltenders you can rely on now. You didn't have that last year. As much as people can say Thomas Grice was fine, Thomas Grice, when he was in net, gave up four goals. And a lot on the defense, which I'm not defending, but we saw what Joel Hofer can provide. So I, I actually think goal, goal suppression is going to be something that surprises people. See, I wouldn't go as far as saying you got two goals you can count on yet. I mean, it's tough to say that you can count on Joel Hofer seeing him for, what, five games? I mean, with that bad of a defense, Joel Hofer kept his, or stood his ground. I mean, he stood his ground in the first, what, Meanwhile, three, Thomas Grice did. He fell apart late. I think Grice was fine last year. Like, I, like if, if Hofer had a year that Thomas Grice put up, don't look at the numbers per se because of what we're talking about. The defense can lead to some of that. But if he plays like I think Thomas Grice played, I'm not sure that's a total disappointment for a rookie. Now, if we were talking about who's so in like your three, four, then it's a different conversation. See, I think he puts up numbers. I, I don't know if he puts up numbers, but I think he plays like Huso did in Huso's final year. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. This is an interesting one. Guys, more likely to win the Super Bowl this year, Miami or Dallas? 
I'll say Miami because Dallas always has their blow-up moment. And Miami showcased last year being aggressive and going out and trading for Chubb. I could see them doing that again on the defensive side of the ball. If Tua stays healthy, that, that team might be a juggernaut. I think I would lean Dallas right now because I trust their defense. Their defense looks incredible. And Micah Parsons, if he stays healthy, he's going to get into Tua's grill during the game. And Dan Quinn's done a fantastic job as the D.C. there in Dallas. I think for Miami, I don't trust their defense yet. I think it looked really good in their last game against New England, but I don't trust them as much as I do Dallas. And then I if I understand what you're saying with Mike McCarthy because you're totally right. But if Dak can play well, they establish a running game with Pollard, CeeDee Lamb's a beast at wide receiver. I, I think that Dallas could be that team that would be the one that I would say they've got a shot. What you said there is what worries me about Dallas, too, their running game. Once you lose Pollard, you don't have much. Yeah, but they have Pollard. For how long? I mean, that's like saying Miami can't do much if they don't have Tua. Or Tyreek. Or Tyreek. Well, you yeah. got to think of Jalen Waddle. Yeah, but now I've only got one wide receiver i got to worry man, you about. hate running backs more than anybody. Why are you defending this? Well, that's what I'm saying. I, like, you become I, a running back lover that, since Bijan joined the league. I, uh, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> I didn't know I was hosting with Anthony Stalter. Well played. Uh, I'm, I am going Dallas. They're trying really hard to convert me, guys. I said going, coming into the season, I thought they would have the best regular season record but I couldn't trust Mike McCarthy. I still feel that way. I do think Mike McCarthy's done a pretty good job this year, though, with that offense. I think the offense looks good. I think the aggressiveness has been there, and the big issue with him in the past has been the guy just runs a bunch of flats and slants. Like It's just a very boring, vanilla offense. I think they've been scheming some stuff up so far this season offensively. So with that defense and the way that the offense is operating so far this year, I think the answer is Dallas for me. We all saw how the last play call offensively ended for Dallas last year, right? I sure do. Yeah, that's why I was I'm not Kellen buying it. That was Moore play call. Oh, okay. okay. That sure. Wasn't Mike McCarthy. Sure. The head coach was like, hey. yeah, sure. Let's put Ezekiel Elliott under center. Hey, that's a good I'm, idea. All I'm saying, Mike McCarthy's 2-0. Kellen Moore and the L.A. Chargers, 0-2. Well, that's because his head coach doesn't know how to clock manage. Final thing here. More likely to win the National League MVP this year. Mookie Betts or Ronald Acuna Jr.? It's Acuna. Nobody's ever done the 40-40, and that's – I mean, he's getting – he's going to – 40-60, 40-70. Well, I get it, but the player-wise, like that, anytime you do something that, like, hasn't been done in X amount of years, that player's your MVP. I, I agree with you. I think it should be Acuna. I'm wondering if voters are going to lead towards bets because when you think of the Braves, look, you pluck out Acuna. That team is – it's not the same, but that's still a really good freaking lineup without Ronald Acuna. You pluck out bets from the L.A. Dodgers, not sure they're a playoff team. I, I truly believe that. They are bets and Freeman and then a bunch of, like, random old veterans that they wheeled in on a wheelchair and said, get out there and play left field, David Peralta. So I would say I think it should be Acuna because of what you said. First one to ever do that 40-40 and now 40-70 or whatever he's going to finish the year at. But I could see where voters look at bets and go, without bets, the Dodgers aren't a playoff team. This is one of those things where I, I would not want to be a voter this year because it, it – like, either way, you're going to get crushed by yeah. one fan base, and it will be deserved because the other person in a typical season, like, let's be totally honest here in St. Louis, both of these seasons are more impressive than what uh, Paul Goldschmidt did last year. They're, they're both just flat out better. Hell, Freddie Freeman's season is better than what we saw, in my opinion, last year from Paul Goldschmidt. And that is not to say that what Paul Goldschmidt did last year wasn't impressive. It was amazing. It was so incredibly impressive. But we've seen three seasons this year in the National League that were better than anything that we saw in the National League a year ago. So any of them would be more than deserving. 
I think I would lean Acuna as well because you guys know how I am. I will remember this season for what Acuna did, not for Mookie Betts just being amazing. I will remember it because we've we've never seen a season like this, similar to what I said last year. I've never seen a player do what Shohei Otani did last year. I've seen dudes hit a bunch of home runs in the American League. Aaron Judge just did it more than any AL player, but that completely removes the fact that NL players had done it better than what he had done. So I, I would go Acuna as well. I think it is an extraordinarily I, tight race, though. I, I would hate to vote on the NL Cy Young, too, because there is so much to, okay, yeah. what do you value? Do you value an innings eater that has a low ERA? Do you value the strikeouts and swinging and stuff like Blake Snow, who doesn't necessarily eat up innings? I don't think anybody, though, that has the innings has done enough to close that gap. And, and like, in a typical season, I feel like Blake Snell's season this year, Cy Young-wise, was last year's Paul Goldschmidt season offensively. Really good year. Amazing season. Wouldn't typically maybe win the win the um, MVP like in a year like this. I don't think that Blake Snell's season this year rises to the level of your typical Cy Young. But I think in this season, because there have been no other like amazing, unbelievable. No contra like last year. Yeah, he would have won it in a landslide over this year's Blake Snell. I don't see anybody else that's done that this year so far in the National League. I'd agree with that. I, But I am curious because there is still some voters that are kind of that old school mentality and it is well if you're five and dive can you really be a Cy Young winner and that's where I think it gets interesting and you'll see it come out in the votes I mean you'll see when they release the voting and if if people you can see who voted on it you'll see probably a bit of a oh this old school person went for more of that innings guy like a Logan Webb or a Justin Steele or you see more of the modern person that says for sure I don't care how many innings he threw as long as they're very effective and you can't argue Blake Snell's been unbelievably effective with his innings I would also add this Blake Snell's finish to the year has helped him in his last eight yeah. starts he's gone at least eight six innings in every single one of them he has 50 innings in his last eight starts that is going to be something that plays to those old school voters that mm-hmm. you're talking about there coming up next the Mizzou football line against Memphis is starting to go in the wrong direction and what brings you joy as a college football fan we'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. So Mizzou football is taking the field on Saturday here in St. Louis at the Dome. If you want tickets, by the way, they're available right now. You should go there if you're a Mizzou fan to pack the Dome so we can show them the support here in St. Louis. That being said, though, Alex, this line is moving in the wrong direction if you're a Missouri fan. Oh, yeah? It started at Mizzou as a seven-point favorite against the Memphis Tigers. At FanDuel, it is down to minus six and a half, and it is continuing to move in that direction towards the lower side. Over on your DraftKings sportsbook, it's at minus five and a half for Missouri in favor of them. I think some of this is due to the Brady Cook news that he is at least questionable going to this weekend. I was listening to Eli Drinkwitz yesterday on the Chase Daniel podcast, and he told Daniel that, hey, it's it's a deep knee bruise, bone bruise, And they hope that he can go as long as he gets a practice in by Thursday. He'll be fine. They expect that he should be able to play this weekend. So I'm fully anticipating at this point that Cook is going to be playing, but he will be slightly limited going into this one. Alex, what's your level of confidence right now that the Missouri Tigers are not going to hit a roadblock? Are you worried at all? No, I I would still keep the confidence like a a 7 or an 8. And it's not 10 because, frankly, it's Mizzou, and this is the type of game that they ish the bet on. But after watching them last week against that tough of an opponent, I understand people are thinking that the letdown is going to come because that was the all-time high 
But I do think that this one's impactful for them, too, because it's in St. Louis and it's at the Dome. A lot of St. Louis fans are going to be around. And watching how that defense performed, I I view this as, it, even if Cook's not at his best, it's still a tight enough game that I would give the edge to the offense for Mizzou. I would be sitting probably around where you were, six, in terms of confidence in, in the Missouri Tigers coming into this one. I, I do think the Cook thing is a serious, I don't want to say a serious problem, but it is raising my concernometer because you saw he was not the same quarterback when he got hurt in that game against Kansas State. Loses some of that mobility, which is a big part of his game. Um, now, to your point, I think the defense is good enough to where they should be able to shut down the Memphis Tigers and keep the Missouri Tigers ahead in this one. So am I concerned? A little bit, but I'm not overly concerned. They should still be able to win this one. I think that line, though, is probably about right. I think it's only going to be a one-score game, and I know that would probably make some fans go, wait a minute, that's a non-Power 5 team. We probably should really worry about that. That's a good non-Power 5 team yeah. in, the, in Memphis. So Memphis I, might win their conference this year. Yeah, they are real. They are a really good football team. So I, I think it's, that line's about right. I think it's going to be about a one-score game. The Cook injury is a little concerning because I think if he was healthy, I would be willing to say, all right, I would take the Tigers on those points. I have heard the attendance, at least as of right now, is not expected to be something that's going to blow anybody away. Um, I think it'll be more resembling of a Battle Hawks game. A Cardinals game. Oh, I think a, some Cardinals games will have Card- higher attendance Cardinals than what you see on Saturday for this game against Memphis. Well, that's not what I want to hear. Yeah, and, and the reason why I bring that up is because we know what that dome is like. When it's not completely full, it can feel a little cavernous, and there are times when it can feel semi-empty, right? And I will give credit where it's due. Those Battle Hawks games, despite the fact that it was, what, like 45,000 people, I think, at most of them, it felt full. It, yeah. it felt like it was a great environment for the fans that were in attendance and for the players that were on the field. That's got to be the case on Saturday for Mizzou because if this thing feels kind of empty and it's just like a ho-hum type of an environment and Memphis comes in and they do what K-State did last week where they come out and they get up early oh, yeah. and you've got a limited Brady Cook in this scenario, dude, that could get away from you earlier than what you're hoping for. I do. I like Memphis plus the seven points. Now that it's gone down a little little bit I probably wouldn't touch the line but I'm probably a little more worried than you guys are I'm at like a four right now in terms of my uh confidence level that this will just be a runaway or anything like that I think Mizzou wins I think it's going to be a really tight game throughout I also wanted to ask you this though because part of why Mizzou fans I think are are starting to jump on board is that this season has the potential now after winning last week to be special. And I've played into this, yeah, right? They I said they're one in the SEC East. I said Ooh. on Monday, why not us? 12 I'd think 12 wins. Because Missouri is every bit as good as any other team in the SEC East not named Georgia. They're not as good as Georgia. I I fully readily admit that. They also weren't as good as Georgia last year. And that Georgia team last year was a hell of a lot better than this Georgia team this year. Georgia is beatable. And when you play against them later on in the season, on any given day, anybody can win. So you'll have at least a chance in that one, even though it's going to be an overwhelming Georgia favorite. The rest of this division, though, man, it's terrible. Florida is not very good despite the win last week. I think they looked good because Tennessee is not as good as any of us expected Joe them Milton to be. couldn't throw a football in an ocean. Kentucky's defense hit a barn. is solid. They've got some good wide receivers, but they can't seem to figure out a way to get this offensive line going. And Devin Leary takes a quarter to be able to figure out that he's playing football again Whoa. every single week for Kentucky. Oh. So the reason why I bring all that up is because yesterday I saw this post and I thought it was really interesting. A guy named Justin Ferguson, who podcasts about college football, wrote this on Twitter. I'm not a Dion hater. I think Dion Sanders has been Dion Sanders has been hugely entertaining and great for college football. However, 
the national college football media's obsession with everything being playoff or bust is unhealthy. You can be relevant and fun in college football without being a title contender and without needing to fire your coach either in season or thereafter. I totally agree with everything he wrote in that. Missouri this year, even if they win nine games, that is a great season for Mizzou, man. For the vast majority of college football fans, the season is not about making it to the college football playoff. Hell, for Colorado fans this year, man, that team ain't making the college football playoff. Let's be honest for a second. They're not as good as the other legit contenders in the Pac-12. But them being where they are right now is a huge, huge win for that program, given what they did last season. They won one game last year, and now even if they win eight, dude, that is a huge step forward. How do you find joy? In college football nowadays, like for the casual college football fan, have we just lost the sense of joy that was supposed to be what college football was all about? That was the ethos of everything that was college football. I mean, as a as a casual college football fan, like I don't have a team. I do kind of agree with what he's saying. Like the, the, the teams that have playoff aspirations are the entertaining teams to me. Like if I'm just a casual, but person, I'm talking about as a fan of a team, if you're a fan of the team, you find joy with improvement every year. Like, Colorado, it's exciting right now because you were terrible last year. Mizzou, the reason we've been miserable, at least for me speaking, is because every season it's either the same or it's worse than the season before. Like, Dennis Gates this year was so freaking exciting because I hadn't seen that in a long time. So that's where the joy comes from if you're a local fan of a team. It's witnessing improvement from what you were the year prior. I So I agree with that. I, I think depending on the fan base, like as an Illini fan – Maybe I'm a little bit spoiled by one eight-win season, but I've been disappointed <laughs> so far from Brett Bielma this season. I think that's fair. I, I think the expectation— You lost your swing game. Mizzou won their swing game, and yeah. this is the opposite of what happened last year. And, and I think the expectation was—maybe expectation's not fair. The hope was, can you get back to eight wins? And now, in the way that Bielma had talked about this team, I was like, yeah, they got a great O-line. They can go do that. They're gonna, it's going to be a Bielma team, and it doesn't look like a Bielma team. The O-line's not— not great. Uh, they can't run the football, and it, it's leading to them looking like a six-win team. So I'm a little disappointed in my team. But I would never hold playoff aspirations on an Illini team unless Bielma started racking up like nine, ten-win seasons over multiple years. Now, I do think it is fair for some programs to have college football playoff or bust of aspirations. Course. And I think those are your top-end programs. Colorado's but there's like not 12 there of them, yet. maybe. Exactly. <laughs> Colorado's not there yet. I think Washington's there. I think Washington should have college football playoff uh, last aspirations. USC, Oregon is there. When you have a- Georgia, Michigan, Texas, Florida State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. These are the teams that we're talking about. And we that, know the program, and, that comes- and that's every single season. They feel that way about their season. Washington might be a new addition to this. Florida State, recent addition to this list. But otherwise, like I'm not judging Duke that way. No. I'm not judging Colorado that way. I'm not judging Washington State or Miami or UCLA or Florida. Like, most of these programs, it's about what Alex was talking about. Hey, can we get some really cool wins this season? Can we have some great moments? Can we have a season from a specific player that we're going to remember? Those are the kinds of things that you latch on to, and it's why when people started criticizing Mizzou fans for rushing the field on Saturday, I was like, are, you, oh, are we really doing this? Come on. They won a game against a top 25 opponent, top 15 opponent at home for the first time in a decade, and they did so on a walk-off 61-yard kick that was the longest field goal in the history of the Southeastern conference yeah if ever there was a game that was made to be a rush the field moment 
that was it. So I just feel like sometimes we've lost the joy in what college football is and what it's supposed to be. And I hope that's, I mean, eventually down the road, maybe that is something that is restored. I do think the expanded playoff could be something that ends up bringing a little bit of that back because every game will not be life and death the way that it is right now. For better or worse, for the top end, that might end up being worse. For the middle of the pack, I think it helps a little bit. I think it adds more because there's more playoff aspirations for more teams. Now, I think you're right, probably not so much on like a game-by-game basis where Texas-Alabama was, hey, you lose and you're behind the eight ball and get into the playoff. But I do think it adds more pressure to more programs. Like Colorado this year, it would absolutely be college football playoff or bust for them this year. And I think it changes for some some programs with the expanded football. Coming up next, we're going to hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, and we'll give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Blues and Brews. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the bagel loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs. All right, I pulled the Tim McKernan. That's on me. If you miss anything from today's show, be sure to check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs, Sire, and Auto Centers. And right now is your chance to win a four-pack of tickets two blues and brews it'll be friday evening at anheuser-busch brewery you can go to 101espn.com for more information on this tickets are on sale or if you're texture number 101 at 314-399-9646 and you can answer the following question correctly you are getting a four pack of tickets to blues and brews earlier today on our open we talked about the good vibes that are taking place out here at the centene community ice center Alex then started singing a song, as I said, that there's good vibes here. What was that song? If you know the name of that song and you were texture number 101, you are getting the four-pack of tickets to Blues and Brews. That is presented by Bud Light, 101 ESPN, and 92.3 WIL. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.